There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ. Yeah, your next chance to live free in 23. We will do it this morning. That's a promise. I won't tell you when until closer to the time. We're looking for those magic words. I want to live free with Cork's 96 FM. So we will do that during the morning. Good morning to you. It's Monday, the 43rd of January. Or at least that's that's how it feels. This is the Monday they call Blue Monday. They call it Blue Monday because they say it's the most depressing Monday of the whole year. I don't know whether it is or not, but maybe it is, maybe it isn't. How was your weekend? At least the weather looks like it's going to improve. It's going to get very cold, a bit chilly for the next couple of days. But uh, here's hoping that it settles a small bit. January's been awful weather was so far. Right, good morning. 0818 96 96 96 the number. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie There was a lot of news over the weekend. A lot of stories going around nationally and internationally but certainly one of the <coughs> strangest and the saddest I think stories was the story that broke on Friday um, when Gardaí were alerted after Cork County Council went to clear a boarded up house on Beecher Street in Mallow and they made a very grim discovery. Uh, Moiraid Tuig from the Cork's 96 FM newsroom joins me. <coughs> You've working this story across the weekend, Moiraid. They found a body. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. They did, yeah. And as you say, this was on Friday uh, when they went into the house to to clear it out. A, a derelict and boarded up house on Beecher Street in uh, in Mallow. And uh, what the council have been saying over the weekend is that uh, the, the house was privately owned. But what happened was they'd served a compulsory purchase order notice on the house. And that's why the staff went in to inspect the property following the, the serving of this compulsory purchase order. 
and that's when this discovery was made. Now, what's uh, come out as well is it's you know it's understood that the body may have been at the location for more than twenty years, mm-hmm. and the reason they think that is because in the fridge there was food items dating back to as far as two thousand and one. So their investigations are underway now to to try and establish the identity of the man who was found deceased and the cause of death, and to to try and piece together exactly what happened here. The death, is it being treated as suspicious at present, Moirad, or what are Garthy saying? Garthy are saying that they, they don't suspect foul play at the moment, but looking for the post-mortem results, and as far as I know, that post-mortem was due to take place on Saturday. Yes. Um, so so awaiting those results to to take those forward with them in their investigation to try and, and establish um, exactly what happened. But locals had thought that the occupant of this house had moved to England. So it's trying to to understand exactly what happened here and to to identify um, the the deceased and and to see, you know, when they died and how they died. Now, at this stage, well, even if we knew, Maureen, we wouldn't be naming anybody, obviously. But is there any... Do we know? Have we any idea who owned the house Uh, and whether it's the same person? as I say, the locals had understood that the person who'd been living there had moved to England around 20 years ago and that that was just their thoughts and the house has just been boarded up and has been derelict since and I'm sure no one had any idea, um, you know, that, that somebody actually may have been in there until the council staff did go in there on Friday to do their inspection after this compulsory purchase order had been served and they made this shocking uh, discovery. And shocking and you have to feel for the the staff, don't you, Moirad, who went in on Friday and found this, like. That's it. You're you're going in to to do your job, and and the last thing you expect is is to discover a body, and it's really sad circumstances to to think that that the body could have been there for up to twenty years, and uh, so it's going to be for the guards now to to work, you know, uh, to try and establish uh, what happened here. And I understand they're going to be looking at, you know, utility bills. And um, as far as I know, the post box had also been boarded up. So you know, is there any post being delivered? And they're trying to trace it back. To, to see exactly, you know, when the electricity was cut off. And this is how they're going to work to to try and come to an understanding of exactly what happened. Okay, we'll take the investigation. We'll, we'll take some time. File for the North Cork Coroner's Court. And, of course, that'll be dealt with there in, in the fullness of time. Maureen, thank you very much. That's Maureen Tuig of the Cork's 96FM newsroom. Let me go to Councillor Liam Mad- Madden, who is a Finnegill councillor for the area. Liam, a shocking story and local news or local knowledge is everything. Does anybody know who this misfortunate man is? Morning. Uh, um, good morning. Um, I suppose, look, the, the first thing there, I suppose, look, it, it, it's just a sad story and I suppose, look, sympathy, I suppose, to, you know, if there's relatives out there or, you know, family members, uh, that's the first thing I would say. Um, I suppose, Look, if you go back and people say it's 20, 21 years and so forth, um, I suppose that's really a very close-knit community. Um, so it, it's extraordinary that, that's like, and I, I, I think, you know, when you hear that people say, look, the man was supposed to go to England and, um, you know, yeah, I can understand that too, that, you know, someone said, look, I'm going to England and the house, the house then is, is, is unoccupied and no one takes any notice and, 
and and it, it's so sad that like um, this you know for the council staff as well this, to come on this discovery you know um, I suppose the one thing I will say look if, if there had been someone missing at the time I suppose you know houses would be all searched and you know and you know probably person and and that wasn't the case you know like there, yeah. there was a missing list there and someone missing but unfortunately this this is where we are and and I suppose look as Maureen said there look um it's the painstaking test now of finding out who the, that person is, you know, and, and I'm sure that, you know, there'll, there'll be different things will come up, utility bills and, you know, was the person drawing, drawing um, did the person, when did the person go off the system, what happened and all that. And I suppose that all the answers will become very clear, I suppose, in the next few days, I suppose, over the weekend, you know, a lot, um, a lot of speculation, all right, you know. You say that these are close knit communities yeah, Liam, yeah. And, but yet no one went to the door for for 20 years yeah yeah and 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 I suppose look it, if someone said in the morning to you look I'm going to England tomorrow and and I suppose that time as well when people did go um I, I'm just wondering what relations were around the area, if there was relations, was there any relations? And obviously um, the people there and neighbours and everything would all have been interviewed yeah. now. And they, they, they no, because I'm thinking in terms of, of small community sinking yeah. Liam, you know, and let's just put a name on this misfortunate man, Johnny. Let's say his name yeah. was Johnny. Well, I'm sure Johnny went to the shop and Johnny went to the pub and Johnny... Went, yeah. may, may have gone to church and Johnny might have been saying in the pub well crikey I'm, lads I'm moving back to England now I'm off I'm good luck now and thanks and for everything and nobody yeah. knowing you and all that no one asked did they anyone hear from Johnny did yeah, anybody uh, know you have to use... it, that, that is extraordinary as well because look it is it, um, um, I know one time in that street, I could I could name a lot of people there, and I'm sure they, they were a very close knit community. But I suppose it's different now. A lot of houses are let out there. there you yeah. know, there, um, that time there were, I'd say, houses were owned by families, um, and now maybe some of these houses as well might be in possession of the council. And I suppose that's what was happening there as well. And I suppose you know it, it just shows as well that any of these houses that are derelict in, in any of our towns or villages they, yeah. they should they should be probably looked at look I well, well, we, it, we don't know for example it was subject to a CPO um, but yeah. and you will know more about this than I being a member of the, the local council when a council is seeking a CPO they have to talk to someone and say we're about to CPO your house who did they talk to who did they well, contact I, they usually serve a notice, and I, I suppose um, that, um, and I suppose they, what happens, as far as I understand, is when they serve a notice, if obviously they don't get a reply to that, or obviously someone don't communicate, they didn't try and take possession of the whole. And I suppose things are changing in that line as well. I suppose look, um, it, it's it's a thing that every town and village must be tackled. Uh, you know, mm. vacant houses, derelict houses, and 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 I think there's there is a bit more urgency in that now as well going forward, um, you know, yeah. because before there, we all know, look, we can go to cities as well to the same thing, you know. Yes. Um, so it's 
it, look at it, it is, it is extraordinary, it, it, it is a busy street, it was, you know, and uh, there is a pub more or less across the way, it was a busy spot, like, but again, yeah. um, until we have all the facts. Oh, I indeed, Liam, well. I know, I'm not, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to cast aspersions on anybody or, or, or anything like that, I'm just thinking of the, the strange elements of this very sad, very tragic story, and again, let's, let's imagine our friend Johnny, who Johnny says, I'm going to England, and he might sit at the pub counter having a pint watching a race on the telly I'm moving back lads ah oh, good man good luck Johnny and did anyone hear from Johnny and then when a compulsory purchase order for anyone who doesn't know what a CPO means sorry about that when a compulsory purchase order is served it's not served on the man in the moon Liam it's served on someone you know yeah I suppose they, they obviously there would be a registered owner of, of, of a list of houses and, and obviously it would be served on the, on, on the registered owner but it, it, the extraordinary thing is like the, as you did say there is look that someone said look Johnny's gone away and no one heard from him and I suppose you can understand that happened probably 40 years ago and things like that because people did go to England. That's and right. But not right. Was, he, he, might, he might have been so, a recluse, I yeah. guess. He might have been a fellow who didn't have much contact yeah. with his... With, well, that's with his another neighbors. thing as well. That, yeah. that maybe maybe he was a guy that didn't go to the pub. We, we don't know that. You know, things like that. Um, and I suppose there is a shop in that street as well. You know, it, there you are. It's a busy street. Um, people are constantly stopping there at the shop as well. And they would pull up there along, um, you know, trying to get a bit of parking as well. Yeah. So it's um, look. It, it is just said for. Oh, look, we, we first of all need to find out who he was, and then yeah. find out what happened to him, and you know, give him a proper burial. And if there are any relatives out there, find them. Uh, yeah, that's, and uh, I suppose there'll be a closure then. Look, if there is relatives out there, and and I suppose if the relatives were there and they, they were saying we haven't heard from what to call human team, and then they were trying to make touch for years and years, and and now you know, all of a sudden, but maybe maybe there's no relatives there. Maybe his relatives yeah. are, are dead, and you know that's that's another all them things will come to light as far as now in, in the next few days. You know, indeed, indeed. All right, Liam, thank you for that. That's Councillor Liam Madden, uh, Finnegale. County Councillor for the area, 0818 96 96 96. There's just so many questions about the story that need answering. Who was this misfortunate man and what happened to him is the first thing. Um, how come when the house was being compulsorily purchased, uh, who did they serve the notice on? That's, that, that'd be my question. Like if serving an order like that, you got to serve it on somebody. So whose name went on the order? And maybe is that the person who is named? It's just he could have been very reclusive. He might have been a fella didn't go to the pub. He might have been a fella, but he had to fella go to the shop because there was food in the fridge. Oh, I think it's just a mystery that will be solved in, in, the, in the fullness of time. Thank you, Liam Madden, and thank you before that, Maureen Tuig. 0818 96 96 96. This guy was amazing. This guy from Croatia, and he was, he's actually one of the best salesmen I've ever spoken to in my entire life. And was it because he was so nice? Nice, informative. Do you know that I'm a pretty nifty salesperson as well? Go on. I'm really, really good you at selling. You the old Jordan Belfort now on me. I Send can. me this pen. Here's a pen. Yeah. All right. How much would you give me for that pen? Uh, 50 cents. Sold. There you go. Thank you very much. Wow. Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from Nolan.
DC cars. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. I find it so strange, says this call, that the council would not check inside the house before boarding it up. I know it was a private residence, but even still, if a house is derelict, they should always check first before boarding it up. You can't without the consent of, if it's a privately owned dwelling, you have to seek the consent of the owner to cross the threshold unless you go and do something like serve a CPO. So there's a lot of paperwork involved. Con, I have to say I'm not familiar with this story. Uh, The National Broadcaster isn't covering the sad story of the killing of a priest in Nigeria. Despite the number of connections uh, with Irish priests going to Nigeria a lot and knowing people in the church there and now many Nigerians come here, some to serve as priests. Yet the story was that bandits, uh, the term is being used, bandits, killed a priest in a raid. He'd previously been kidnapped by the same bandits. As I say, Con, I'm not overly familiar with that story. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Uh, no covering of it, no coverage of it that I have seen. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. There's a, still that drug shortage. I think I read in the paper this morning 234 drugs now officially in short supply or out of stock. An email from Anne, which I'll read to you in a little while. 0818 96 96 96. Now imagine every mammy's nightmare. Your baby is only a couple of weeks old and he starts to get sick. Very sick. Very, very sick. Uh, And you don't quite know what's wrong, but you know something is. And you've been through a nightmare, but now you're out the other side. That's Emer's story. Emer, talk to me about James. How is he now and how old is he? Morning. So James is actually 11 weeks today. So it's Monday um, and he's amazing. Like he is flying it like against all odds. He is doing really, really well. And I honestly think since he came home, he's thriving. You know, I think it's just being in a more relaxed environment, you know, less beeping of machines and things like that. He just yeah. seems to be super, super happy. He got so sick so quickly. He was only, what, two weeks old? Yeah, yeah, just under two weeks old. And to be honest, I kind of felt as though maybe about a week before we got to hospital, I was kind of saying there's definitely something up with him. Um, but the thing with James was he wasn't having any temperatures and that would be a big sign of there being something really, really wrong. Yeah. Um, he only started having temperatures the day we got to hospital. So, so was it kind of mammy knew there was something wrong? Mammy bears instinct? Is that what it was? That's what you could say. And literally, that's what all the nurses have said to me. They were like, Emer, you just knew. Like, I suppose we had a few appointments with him where I said, look, I think there's something not right. And, you know, like the professionals were kind of saying to us, look, it could be reflux. So we changed his milk and things like that. And I said, no, it, it's not reflux because he's a great feeder. He doesn't get sick or anything like that. So you could say that like it was just my instinct. I just knew there was something not right. So what what happened to him, Emer? 
So when we got admitted to hospital, we started getting loads of tests on James and we were first admitted to CUH and they basically started doing lumbar punctures like on his spine and things like that and blood tests, all that kind of thing. So tiny like and a big needle. Oh my God, the thought of it. Yeah, I know. I mean, even when I was getting my epidural, I was scared. So when I knew that James was getting something along those lines into his spine, it really, it's a lot to take. But um, basically James had a really extensive infection of MSSA. So he basically had pockets of infection all over his body on different joints. So like he had some on his spine, his pelvis, ribs in his arms, his legs. And then as well as that, he also had an infection of sepsis. And then as well as that, he also had a blockage in his left ureter. So that is the tube between your bladder and your kidney, um, which was causing basically the urine to go back up to the kidney. Oh. So that caused infection as well. He he was such a sick little baby. But I've never heard of that MSSA. Yeah, so it would be like, it's similar to MRSA. So, you know, that's the hospital kind of superbug, they kind of call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the MSSA isn't resistant where to antibiotics, whereas the MRSA is. Yeah, but um, literally, I mean, our consultants basically said to us in Crumlin, like in all their years of medicine, they had never seen um, an infection this extensive in an infant ever. So that's not the most comforting thing to hear. But, you know, I was like, okay. Have they any idea how he got the infection? So it's really difficult to pinpoint that. Um, Like it's not from the blockage in the kidney in the ureter so that's kind of what they were thinking at the start like could this be why he's so sick and it's not they were kind of two separate entities working against him you could say um but it's really hard to say there's kind of no way of knowing and there's no way of turning back the clocks and you know understanding how he got it but mssa actually lives on loads of our skin naturally it actually lives in our noses and things it just depends on i suppose the person and if it gets in deeply enough to infect like it did with James. So you bring him to CUH and then it's crumbling. And when that, when you're having that conversation, how frightened were you? Oh, like, I suppose when we were in CUH, like I'm a very positive person. I kept saying he's going to be fine. He's in the right place. We're going to get better. And basically what happened was they took him for bloods and he just took a really bad turn. But we were kind of waiting for him to come back. And myself and Jack were sitting down having our dinner saying, look, he's had not so bad a day. He's had the antibiotics now for nearly 24 hours. You know, he's going to come out of this. And then I'll never forget when the nurse came in and I could see in her eyes that she was about to tell me something I didn't want to hear. And she's like, look, Emer, he's going to have to go to Crumlin or Temple Street. And it was just a matter of who would have a bed for us. And honestly, I could feel myself just drop, like my heart in my chest just sank. And I was like, oh God, like that is where the sickest kids go. And then it kind of hit me that James was the sickest baby in CUH at that point of time. And that's very surreal. Like that's very, oh my God, what? what? Not my James. This doesn't happen to us, you know? Yeah. I think you have that feeling of like, oh no, these, these things happen to someone else. It's not going to happen to us. You know what I mean? It's weird. You kind of go through that moment of, oh no, like why why my baby? But look, 
I'm just so glad that CUH acted when they did because they kind of did it in a way of saying, look, Emer, if he needs ICU care, it's better that he's down the hall from the bed instead of a three-hour ambulance from the bed. And they were dead right, do you know? That makes a whole pile of sense. In the moment, it probably didn't, but it does make a whole pile of sense. Oh, it does. It does. And they're just amazing and CUH to have acted that quickly. Were you able to go up with them? Yeah, so what happened was um, I went up in the ambulance. It was about, oh, I'd say we left about two in the morning and we arrived to Crumlin around four in the morning on Saturday morning. Mm. And I suppose when you're going through those steps, like, you know, the first time I saw the ambulance, I kind of had my moment of, oh my God, this is really happening. And then we were on the drive up and I had the most amazing doctor and nurse from CUH with me and they really like helped me feel calm. And then we got to the front door of the Crumlin and I had that moment again of, oh my God, I'm actually in Crumlin. And then we walked to the room and, you know, you kind of go through this weird, like dreamlike state of this isn't actually happening. Like, are we going yeah. back to court now? Like, what do you mean we're here? Do you know? This this wasn't in the script. Like Exactly. Exactly. So how quickly then after arriving in Crumlin, did he go downhill or did he stabilise? What happened then? So basically he went downhill. Um, we had him on a cocktail of antibiotics and like, I mean, these antibiotics should have really, we should have started seeing improvements quite quickly with them, you could say. Um, but his infection levels in his blood just kept getting higher and higher and higher. So then he was brought to ICU and they were kind of saying, look, guys, we need to do like some serious testing. We need to do MRIs, CAT scans, echo on his heart, like you name it now. And he's so, he's so tiny and they're doing all this. I suppose... When you're going through it, you just have to get through it. Um, but yeah, like basically we went into the ICU and they were kind of saying, look, guys, you need to just take it like hour by hour, you know, just get through the next hour, get through the next day, get through the next night with him and things like that. Because they they didn't know what was going to happen because they had never seen an infection this extensive in a newborn like ever. Um, so that's always really hard to hear because you nearly want them to turn around and say, look, it's awful, but we've cured this 20 times. And there's all these cases and we've got all this to back us up. But they couldn't say that to us, you know, which is hard. And I remember I kept saying to him, but they're going to, he's going to be grand. So it's fine, guys. Like, don't you worry now. I was saying this to the doctors. I was like, don't worry. He's honestly going to be fine. There's no hassle. He's going to be grand. But I think you have to do that to get through it. You, you know? Do. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Were, were you afraid you might lose him? Oh, like that was, that was where we were at, really. Like, I mean, they kept saying to us, look, guys, it's a life-threatening infection is what he has. Like, they had to keep reiterating that to us. They were like, it really is life-threatening. Like, where he's at right now, this is really, really serious. So, like, he was conscious up until he had a big procedure the day before my other baby's first birthday. And he basically had loads of points of infection drained. And he had, like, drainage bags coming out of his neck and coming out of his pelvis and things like that after the procedure. And then he was intubated and put into the medically induced coma, and that's when the severity of it all really hit us. I think it was seeing him unconscious and not knowing if or when he'd wake up. Like, that was very, very surreal. How, how powerless do you feel in that moment, Emer? Oh, like, you see, we weren't even allowed to hold him. Like, oh, no. because he was in so much pain, because he had so much infection all over his joints. Like, 
it was so uncomfortable for him. So we couldn't even give him that. Like we couldn't even give him the basic hug that you want to give your child or we couldn't even feed him. Like he didn't feed for a couple of weeks. So all of the things you want to do as a mom are stripped from you. So you just have to sit there and watch him and just say, I'm here, James. Like, I love you so much. Don't worry. Like, I'm not leaving your side, you know? Yeah. So in the middle of all this, JJ turns one. And I, I suppose you can't even be there, can you? No, no. I mean, it was literally when James was intubated, like it was that day that JJ turned one, which is like really hard and really, really surreal. Um, I suppose, you know, to kind of get our minds off of how serious James James's condition was, you know, the doctors and nurses be like, oh, and do you have any other kids at home? And usually that's nearly like a happy subject because I'd say, oh, yeah, I have JJ. And, you know, he's fabulous. and We adore him and he's the best boy. But it was his birthday, his first birthday at that. And we weren't there. And I just remember a doctor asking me and I was just like, I have a baby, but he's turning one and I'm not there. And then I could see his face drop and he was like, oh, God, I just opened a can of worms that I really didn't mean to. <laughs> but um, look, he had the most fabulous first birthday regardless, as in like he's absolutely spoiled. And I would nearly say that's the beauty of the timing of all of this. JJ's one. He doesn't have a clue the days of the week. Never mind that it's his birthday, do you know? So <laughs> it's nearly a blessing in disguise, do you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get you. I get you. And he's on your he's on your TikTok, which he's almost the star of your TikToks at this stage. But yeah. I, I, I'll get to the TikToks in, in a minute. So, all of this intensity, all of this fear. At what point then did they say, "Okay, we have a hold of it"? I suppose it took a while. As in, like, if I'm honest with you, the moment they kind of decided that was when they were talking about us going back to Cork. So while we were in Crumlin, it was very much so, look guys, there's no timeline. We can't give you a timeline. Um, we just genuinely have to see how his condition keeps going. Um, so I suppose maybe we were about six weeks in to being in hospital and then they were kind of starting to discuss us doing the IV antibiotics from home and things like that. So he, d- he did start to come around a bit like Yeah, but it wasn't really a straight road in the sense that he got that procedure done with all the draining and then he was improving, improving. And then they were kind of worried about his movement. So then we had to actually get the neurosurgeons from Temple Street over to see him in Crumlin um, because they were getting quite worried. He had quite a collection on the top of his spine. And then there was a question mark over whether we'd have to do spinal surgery and things like that. So it was definitely not a straight road to recovery. You know, like there was kind of peaks and valleys, you could say, throughout it. And were you worried or were you talking at any stage about how much permanent damage might be done? Were they concerned about that? Oh, that was a big question because like James hadn't been moving his arms and his legs. He'd kind of stayed tucked into the fetal position. Now, now we understand that we think that was because he was in such pain. He was trying to like protect himself. Poor like, please wife. don't hold me. Don't touch me. Do you know? Um, but yeah, like, I mean, we really didn't know if he'd ever move his legs again. We didn't know if neurologically he was going to be, you know, 100%. We just honestly, every day just brought a new, oh, look, he moved his leg. Oh my God. Did he just kick yeah. his leg out for the first time? Did he just move his arm? And 
now he's acting really appropriately for his age and things like that. Now he is smaller for his age and weaker for his age, but like he's tracking and tracing people. He's smiling. He's having little giggles. It's honestly amazing. Like it's crazy. There was another hurdle as well, wasn't there, when they told you, okay, you can take him home now and you can do this at home. And then you were on your way back and you ended up in CUH. How, what can, what, you, you were in the Bumblings, were you? No, so th- this time we were allowed to drive home. Oh, um, So literally, I was in the car with my dad. We had James. I was sitting next to James in the back seat, and I thought, this is going to be amazing. So I actually got trained on how to give his antibiotics from home through his pick line in his arm. So that was absolutely perfect. I was really excited to start, and we were due to get the delivery that night. Hmm. And then we were about an hour down the road and I got a phone call and the delivery company cancelled the delivery. So I was an hour away from Crumlin and it was peak traffic time. I think we left around like five o'clock in the evening. Hmm. Um, so you can only imagine the Dublin traffic at that time. It was absolutely crazy. And then the panic kind of kicked in like, oh God, he needs his next antibiotic. It's now been cancelled. So then I had to ring Crumlin and explain to James's ward, which he just got discharged from. Um, so our antibiotic is no longer happening. So then they rang CUH and got a bed ready for James. And we went straight down there and got an infusion at nine o'clock at night so that we could spend the night at home. Oh, yeah, that's that's brilliant. And he's 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 well now and he's well and truly on the road to recovery. And there's no permanent damage like it is a bit of a miracle, isn't it, Emer? Oh, it's 100 percent a miracle. But like throughout it all, like when your baby's sick, you don't care. Like, you know, they were saying to me, he might move his legs, he mightn't do this, he mightn't do that. You don't care. You just want them to be well. Yeah. Like, you know, it's one of those things. I have to say, like, being in Crumlin, I nearly was thankful that James was so young because I said, he's never going to remember this in all his years. He's never, ever going to remember the yeah. eight weeks he's spent in hospital. They're going to be something I'll never forget. Yeah, that's that's a good point, actually. He'll be too young to remember what happened and you'll you'll either tell him or you won't I, I presume you will down the road tell him everything will you oh he'll be hearing all about it when he's bringing you know a man or a woman to the door I'll be saying guys he is drama this James I'm going to be like <laughs> you need to think deeply about getting in a relationship with this fella because my god does he give me grey hairs but look I just believe truly like you've been through hard times this is one of my hard times Mary down the road is going to go through hard times. Like, you know, if it's a divorce, if it's, you know, a car crash, if it's something like these times happen in everyone's life. And I think it's good to remember that. Like, this is one of our hard times. But now we are getting to the other side of it. Like we have one more operation due in March. And hopefully after that, we can kind of put this to bed. But like, I just really believe that out of all of this time, you know, myself and my partner are so much closer. Like JJ is obsessed with James. Like he's literally, he can't stop holding his hand, giving him kisses and hugs. Like, you know, these things happen and it's so unfortunate and you don't want it to happen you. But I think it's amazing. Like out of all of this, we've, like linked up now I'm an ambassador for Bumbulance an amazing children's charity aren't they aren't they just fantastic literally and we've raised 15,000 euro wow. for them and we did that in two days on Instagram Fabulous. you know what I mean so like that's such a positive to come out of such a negative and I think it's to just keep remembering you know these times happen they're crap but this too shall pass you know looking at your your TikTok and one thing I noticed all of your videos and even some of the videos that would have been made at the very toughest of times 
Yeah. You're really positive. You're really kind of, no matter how wrecked you are, by God, you were wrecked on some of them. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you're really positive. But the, I know the one thing that you wanted to say uh, is how fantastic the people are in both COH and Crumlin. And at a time, Emer, when we hear so many horror stories coming out of the health service, you can't say enough about these people, can you? Like, I suppose for me and from my point of view, when the chips are down and it's like my baby was life and death at two weeks old, like there was not enough that they could do. Even like one of our consultants was on a week's annual leave in the middle of kind of James's treatment. And she was like, Emer, all I could think of was James. Like she was like, these people became so invested in my baby and in his health. And I totally understand like that Annie's are super full and things like that. But when the chips are down and things are life and death, it like the health service can't do enough for you. There is no thing that they won't do. There's no barrier they won't go through. Like we had people come in on their days off to take care of James and things like that. Like I can't stress enough, like when it was so extreme and it was so scary, they went above and beyond for us. And I mean, all of our consultants now think that James is their baby as well. So, and all the nurses and all the doctors are obsessed with him. Yeah. They're like, he is a modern day miracle. Yeah, it's it's not just something that people say. They do, those wonderful doctors, they do become personally involved, don't they? Oh, they do. And I mean, even when we were leaving Crumlin, it felt so surreal. It kind of felt like we were leaving our family behind in a way because they took care of not only James, but they took care of me and Jack. Like yeah. we were part of their family too. And I know, I absolutely know that there is there is things wrong with the health system and things like that. Oh, 100%. No problem. I agree with that, okay? Yeah. But... I do think when it comes down to it, when there's a baby, if if you thought for a second that James was ahead of you in A&E, wouldn't you be so happy for him to go ahead of you? I know I would. If I thought for a second that for my broken leg, I can't get an ambulance for two hours because a baby's going to Crumlin in that, in that ambulance, take the ambulance. Take it a hundred times over. And I think that's the new perspective I've gotten. Yeah. I will wait in A&E for 12 hours if there's something wrong with me, if I think that a baby or a child is getting their treatment before me, yeah. treat them a hundred times over before me. Like, you know, I suppose from my point of view now, that's what I keep telling myself. Like, you know, any weight that we had, even say we were getting an MRI in Cork and the nurses basically told us, look, Emer, there's another child ahead of James because they're more of a priority. Scan him a hundred times over before James because James is now thankfully out the other end. Like he's getting so much better. And I think it's to kind of remember that like we're all doing our best. They're so understaffed, but they're genuinely doing their utmost to take care of us. Do you know? I know. And that's their lovely words and, and, and heartfelt humor. One thing that uh, I wanted to bring up for you, I mean, even Santa had to get in in the act here. Yes, he did, literally. And actually, do you know what really hit us at one point? We were in Crumlin, obviously, and we were sitting down and we were watching um, the Late Late Toy Show because, you know, it's such a thing around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And they said on the show, they were like, oh, and say, let's say hi to all the, you know, the children and things in hospital. And then me and Jack looked at each other and we were, they, we were like, they're saying that to us. They're saying that to James. They're like, it's very surreal, you know, and even seeing Santa for the first time in hospital, it's very surreal. You know, it that's what the times when it hits you that you're saying, oh, wait a minute, 
this is actually happening and other people are living their lives. How dare they? Like, what do you mean? This, this Everyone's life is supposed to be on pause. You know, it's it's weird. It's very surreal, but it was fabulous. And they're so lovely. And if any kids out there are going to be in a hospital around Christmas time, next Christmas, don't worry, kids. Santa comes. He's so good to you. And he nearly takes extra care of the kids in hospitals. So don't worry. All right. Listen, Emer, it's lovely talking to you. Uh, my best you to too. you and to all the family and to Jack. And you know what? Maybe in maybe in a few years' time, uh, when he's a star on the toy show, you might be telling that story to someone else. It's true. It's true. Literally. Thank you so much, and have a lovely day. Cheers, you too, Emer. Thanks. Thank you. That's that. That thanks. That's a lovely story, Emer. Emer's TikTok, if you want to look at it, it's it's actually very good. I was browsing through it the other morning, and. She's got loads of different videos. Some of them are very funny, actually. Uh, Miss Hallahan, M-I-S-S, Hallahan, Miss Hallahan on TikTok. You'll find her there. 0818-969696. Do you read texts in your car? You shouldn't read texts in your car. Of course you shouldn't read texts in the car. But on these fancy touchscreens that are a load of different cars now, or oh, the more modern the car, the bigger and flashier the the touchscreen, you can get your text up there, you can change change your radio up there on the touchscreen. You can there's a hundred and one things now the touchscreen in your car does. Some of them are big enough to watch a match on. I hope no one ever watches a match on their touchscreen. But could they be the cause of road accidents? Could they be? Well some people are thinking about it. Next. Live free in twenty three. Listen and win. Oh my god! Yeah! A year to remember. <laughs> Cut the cost of living for one loyal listener. With the ultimate live free grand prize. Win a holiday. Free fuel. Supermarket shopping. Computers and electrical. Concert tickets. Fashion and beauty. Free food. And a credit union account with cash. Spending money. Money. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. Live free in 23. With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. <laughs> Only on Cork's 96 FM. So last year in Cork City and County, 12 people lost their lives on the roads. These are official gather figures. There were 10 men and two women. And most of those accidents happened, nine of them happened between the hours of 7am and 7pm last year. And the guys do an official report on all of this and and they publish the reasons and the times and the dates and all this. But they always then come up with the guidelines like never drive under the influence, be careful of your speed, the speed limit is not a target, put on your seatbelt, all of that. Don't use handheld mobile phones or electronic devices, the usual. Uh, There's research in the States which says that although speed being the deadliest factor, inattention is now an increasingly common cause of crashes and could it that be down to the fantastic touch screens that pretty much everything now comes through on modern cars could they be a distraction Connor Faulkner is transport commentator and consultant morning Connor good morning PJ how are you good do you think there's something in this that the screens they're wonderful they really enhance the driving experience but could they be distracting us 
Yeah, I think they are. Um, I think that's part of it. Now, I don't think it's a big reason why uh, we've had some poor road safety statistics over the last year or so. Uh, but I do think it contributes. Like modern cars are fantastic with all their features and bells and whistles. But in some cases, those can be distracting, those interactive menus. So you're on a touch screen trying to figure out how the air conditioning works. Um, and, and, you know, anything that pulls the driver's attention away from the road uh, can be inherently unsafe, particularly in urban environments. Um, and you do see, you'll see it pedestrians wandering across the road while looking at their screens. And you'll see it with drivers too. They could be fiddling with the phone or they could well be fiddling with some of the features in the car. You see it regularly. Yeah, I often look at the controls that are on steering wheels and yes, they'll put the radio and access to the phone control on the steering wheel. But you mentioned uh, air conditioning. Like you have to go looking for the button. You have to go looking for the button. Do you know? Yeah, and you can find yourself lost in a sub-menu on the interactive screen, uh, wondering where to, how to find your way around. And as I say, there are so many features on a modern car um, that, you know, as a, as a driver, even when you get to know them, you probably don't use a quarter of the features that are provided. Um, and for everything from cruise control to climate control to what podcast is going to appear on your screen to how to work the sat-nav. Um, there's lots of stuff that you could fiddle with. Um, and you don't want the driver doing that. You want the driver essentially paying attention to the road around him. Um, so we're very familiar with how mobile phones do it, um, you know, the, the distraction that they cause. Um, and while they're a scourge and you know they, they account for 10% of all penalty points the driver's fiddling with the phone so it's the number one problem but it's not the only thing that distracts drivers while driving and as I say sometimes modern technology can make it worse not better. The the fact that so many modern cars now Connor literally bond to your phone like the minute they sense that the phone is in the car they control so many different things including satellite mapping all that kind of thing. There's so much of your car links to the phone what annoys the hell out of me is the one what genius came up with the idea that you could read a text message off your big screen while you're driving that's mad it is mad and why would you ever want to Um, or when your phone does ring and it's paired itself automatically with the car why does that interrupt you know why does the ringing phone stop the radio and make you pay attention to it Um, so sometimes these design features that you know are meant to be convenient for the user um, wind up just being irritating or distracting now that's one thing when I'm fiddling with my laptop or you know wondering how this particular application might work and I'm sitting at my desk. It's something else entirely when I'm, you know, I'm trying to drive around the Dunkettle roundabout uh, and, you know, a feature in my car is beeping at me or I haven't been able to turn the fan off or whatever it might happen to be. And older design had the virtue, I think, of being relatively simple. And I think for people designing those sub-features in new cars, they could do well to remember the design maxim, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Um, And, and, you know, try and allow the driver to concentrate on what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, one of the cars I drive has a very simple little addition on the screen and I've never seen it on any other screens it's just a button that says dark and all that comes on (laughs) all that comes on along the bottom is the time and what you happen to be listening to and that the screen is dark and I love it Day or night, I just—I yeah. don't want to see all that stuff. There's a screen on one car that parks outside the radio station here from time to time, Connor. You could watch the Premier League on it. Like, what's the use of a screen that size? 
Well, indeed, yeah. And, you know, there's loads of stuff that it could do, but, but there's very little that it actually needs to do. And as I say, why do you need your, your, your car dash display, uh, you know, to act as a TV screen? Um, and it is a frustration with these, uh, with modern car designs. Um, and yeah, you know, a postcard to designers, keep it simple, please. I mean, I've had that irritation myself. Usually when you get to know a car and it's your own car, uh, you, you become accustomed to its foibles and its bells and whistles. But I've had the experience with a hire car um, where, you know, you, half an hour before you set off, you're trying to figure out its bits and pieces. And, you know, you're driving along a motorway and it starts beeping at you. Uh, you know, a speed warning is set at too low a speed and it starts beeping when it gets above 40 kilometers per hour. And, you know, and the driver on the motorway, irritated by this, is trying to find the button on the submenu that turns it off. So, um, yeah, you know, features like that clearly are a bad idea when you're driving. And as I say, we're very, very used to being distracted by the mobile phone. We've all done it from time to time. We all know we shouldn't. Um, but when the car itself is causing these problems rather than solving them, <laughs> feels like a step backwards. Uh, coming back to speed, because that is still the deadliest factor. Every statistic don't man will tell you speed is still the deadliest factor. You can control, there are many, many things in modern cars to consu- control speed. But as we move more towards electrics, Connor, one thing, I remember a, a pal of mine bought one about two years ago and he said the biggest fright he got was how quickly the damn thing accelerates. <laughs> That's right. Um, it, it, it's one of those things you get used to in an electric car, the, the, the instant torque. Um, so it does, it, its immediate acceleration is far, far faster than a petrol or diesel. And that's something that the drive gets used to. I mean, they are superior machines. Electric cars are absolutely superb. Really? And, and, you know, when, when, when we all get used to them and they become ubiquitous, give it another 20 years, 30 years, we'll wonder how we ever drove the old ones. Um, so they're fantastic in, the, in, 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 in that sense. And yeah, definitely part of the future because i was his his big fear was this is a guy who commutes a lot in work and he said i'm i'm really in danger of rear-ending because the damn thing takes off so quickly but we're just gonna have to get used to that i suppose yeah, that's just you, you get used to that in your manner of driving. I mean, sometimes, for example, you'll 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 um, you know, if you're in a car, perhaps a high performance car and it has really, really strong brakes. The first time you use them, you think, oh, my God, I'm going to bump my nose off the windscreen every time I touch. But actually, you adjust and you get used to them. Um, and and dry, electric cars actually drive very, very normally. Uh, I mean, many people have driven them. You know, they're 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 eight percent of new car sales. So this isn't news to a lot of the people listening to us, PJ. Mm. But if you've never driven an electric car, it's almost disappointing how normal it is when first you do it. It, it just drives exactly like uh, an automatic um, uh, traditional car, but then it, it performs much better. It's it's much smoother and the, you know, the power is easily there. The quality of it is just fantastic. It's, it's a better way to move the car around than burning fossil fuels even without the climate argument. Yeah. Lastly, uh, Connor, the basics, I think, remain the same. This report from the guards that I quoted um, the basics remain the same, don't they? Watch your speed, well, watch your distractions. It- they do, they do. I mean, every time we talk about road safety, PJ, and we had a bad year last year, relatively, relatively, but the deaths were up. And as you pointed out, the the, the number of pedestrians killed in Cork in the last year, it, it has been fairly grim. Um, and for all the talk of modern technology, uh, there, 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 there are a couple of key factors that keep turning up in the death statistics. One is alcohol. We probably don't have to labour that point. It's still there. Uh, the other is speed. Uh, and speed is something we can all be guilty of when we're distracted 
um, but but the driver going just a little bit too fast and therefore not re- able to act, not able to react quite quickly enough and there's a crash. It, it's a factor in, as you say, pushing on 90% of all collisions at speed. So if there was one tip and one tip only, uh, slow down, just change your habits and slow yourself down just a little bit and it does make a huge difference to potential danger in your reaction. All right, Connor, thank you. That's Connor Faulkner, transport commentator and consultant. One of the funniest things I ever heard a guard say when he stopped a driver um, I was being driven somewhere by a pal and the pal was going a little bit quickly and the guard said to him um, where are you going son? and he goes go to Dungarvan it'll still be there slow down the minds are live join the conversation call 0818 969696 96 96 96. extra whatsapp 083 396 96 96 email opinion at 96fm.ie this is the opinion line with PJ Coogan Cox 96FM John Gutted my favourite weather app I've been talking about it for years but it is no more you won't be able to get dark sky anymore and it's as dead as a stone on my phone but what's happened is that dark sky has been sucked up into the apple weather app the apple weather app used to be about as useful as a chocolate teapot but they've sucked up the dark sky technology into it i'm sure there was a deal done and now all the dark sky predictions are in the app uh, weather, weather app. And so it's giving us lovely weather, weather like this, until at least Wednesday, possibly into Thursday. Lovely, dry, bright, crisp, cold weather. Baldy Barber says that they were all wrong last night about the forecast for Cork. It was supposed to be shocking this morning. But look, the sun is beating down. It was always going to be dry and cold this morning, Baldy. Always. I was looking at the app yesterday. I was debating whether or not to get the bus this morning um, and I knew by about 7 o'clock last night that I could easily get the bus this morning because it was going to be nice and dry and it was come here do you want to win a holiday worth 2,000 euro 1,000 euro worth of fuel supermarket shopping and lots lots more besides well it is underway live free in 23 underway with Cork Credit Unions on Cork's 96 FM I will be calling on a competitor sometime soon I think we're doing it this hour or next hour we haven't actually decided when we're doing it but we are going to do it at some stage this morning okay 0818 96 96 96 the number of the text to whatsapp is 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie one of the shocking showbiz stories last week was the death only was it two days after she was seen at the Golden Globes, the death of Lisa Marie Presley at the age of only 54. That's a little duet between herself and her dad. She died very suddenly on Thursday at the age of just 54. Cute. Very cute. Now, Mark Lean um, is, was uh, an Elvis impersonator. You've also written a book 
uh, about uh, gambling and all that, which I'll talk about in a minute, Mark. But it was a shock uh, last week to to read about uh, Lisa Marie's death, wasn't it? Morning. Good morning, PJ, and good morning to the listeners and all my friends in Cork. Yes, absolutely. It was a, a, a big shock. It was unexpected. But she she didn't look she didn't look herself at the Golden Globes. I must say. Yeah. Um. I I remember commenting to my wife uh, uh, when she did the interview on the red carpet, and I I didn't think she looked herself. But still, in all, that's no uh, determinant that she was going to pass away. You know. She had a tough old life at times, didn't she? I'm losing her dad as a she child. She did. She did. There was a lot expected of her. Um. You know, when she was just a little girl, she became aware very young of of power. Um, she used to get the Memphis Mafia. I knew a lot of those guys. I brought some of Elvis's entourage and his his backing band to Ireland to Killarney to play with me. Um, and and uh, they told me they said that like you know Lisa Marie would say to them, if you don't do this this and this for me, like or put her put her up in the golf carts and drive her around right around the lawns of Graceland, I'll tell my daddy. This kind of thing she was at even as a child. So later on, then she became fascinated with with people like Michael Jackson. Of course, she was married four times. Um, you know, she was married to Danny Kyo, first of all, a musician, then Michael Jackson. Um, and she told Oprah famously that the, that the only thing that Michael Jackson was interested in was was what medications Elvis was on. But they did love each other <laughs> for a long time. But his, his attention waned, you know. Of course, there's great respect for Michael Jackson in Cork, you know, and, and, and one of the places that Michael Jackson played and will never be forgotten, a great artist in his own right. Then she married Nicolas Cage, who himself was an Elvis fan. I'd forgotten that know, one, actually, um, Mark, yeah. I forgot yeah, she was about you know, Nicholas Cage. She, yeah. she married him, and he was distraught this week. He said he said she lit up a room whenever she walked in. Um, he spent two years with her, actually. And then, finally, her fourth marriage was to a guy called Michael Lockwood, and she had uh, two children with him. So she had four children in total, Riley Kyo being the most notable. She's an actress in her own right from her first um, marriage. Uh, but of course, her son uh, died via suicide, um, Benjamin, and he's buried up at Graceland. Lisa Marie will be buried at Graceland. Um, it's the only cemetery in the world I think I know of that you have to pay to get into. But of course, it's part of the it's part of the tour of Graceland. But yeah. um, the, the reason Elvis is buried up there, of course, was that uh, in in Forest Lawn Cemetery, which I visited, they, the Presleys were afraid. Vernon was afraid that people were going to break in after 1977 into the family crypt and try and steal Elvis's jewellery. Yeah. So they had all the family moved up there uh, yeah. because he was so famous, you know. There was just so much mystique about the man. I think, and I've done this a few times on the show, Mark, and on various shows over the years, and you ask, is there one artist, living or dead, that you would love to see if you had a choice? And invariably, yeah. he tops that poll. Yeah, he yeah tops I that often poll. say to my... I, I, are, you, are you a fan yourself, PJ? You are. Well, I love his music. I, I would have mm. loved to have an opportunity to see him, do you know? Yeah, yeah. I say to my wife, you know, living or dead, who would be your ideal um, guests around the dinner at a come dine with me, you know? <laughs> and Elvis was <laughs> always in there, you know? And uh, But, yeah, even the, the numbers are shocking. Um, Elvis used to say, just a couple of quick quotes for the people while I'm on. Um, this comes on the weekend of the 50th anniversary of Aloha from Hawaii. Now, why do I mention that? Because in, 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 in a time where we have so many channels, as Bruce Springsteen said, and not none, yeah. they tried to top Elvis's audience. Elvis got an audience of 1.5 billion people live via satellite 
um, on, in Aloha from Hawaii on the 14th of January 1973. Like and this weekend was going to be huge. There. Yeah. And they tried to beat it with the three tenors in, in London um, uh, or in, uh, in Paris at the, at, the, at the World Cup and they didn't beat it. Um, you know, when Pavarotti was alive, they tried to beat that record. They went out of their way to try and beat it. Um, but they couldn't. Um, no one has come near it since. So it comes on the weekend of that. Also, that, was a, that was a concert. Uh, Hawaii. It was a concert, yeah, live via satellite. Um, uh, there was, of course, there's a story behind that as well. Elvis couldn't leave America. That's right. Colonel Parker was an illegal immigrant, didn't want him going out. Hawaii was part of the United States. And so they, they broadcast live and Colonel Parker did this deal. Mm. No, it was a huge success. And Elvis got in shape and Marty Pacetta, whom I met, was a wonderful guy and a great producer. And he had to fight with the colonel to get it to be more artistic, you know, than, than, than what the colonel had imagined. But um, Lisa Marie, um, getting back to her, she was an artist in her own right. She had a couple of albums, um, you know, she wanted to buy a castle in Tipperary. Um, uh, there's some news for you exclusively. Yeah, I, 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 I was uh, actually uh, privy to all of it at the time. Um, I stopped doing Elvis uh, at the age of 42, the age Elvis died at. Uh, I took it very seriously. I was delighted and honoured and humbled to play many times in Cork. Uh, I played in the Cork Opera House and, and a couple of other venues like that. Um, a fellow called Noel Magno brought me down there a few Noel times well. to do some shows for him. Well. Um, yeah, so, so I did, and I played with the show band show and stuff down there. But there was a castle in Tipperary they were very interested in. They were living at the time 15 miles away from the headquarters of the Church of Scientology in the UK place called Rotherfield in East Sussex and people didn't know they were there. I'm talking about Priscilla and Lisa Marie. Yeah, yeah. And they popped over to, to a nice quaint country called Ireland and they, they had a look around and they said, they, oh my God, the castles and they wanted to buy a castle and it was very far down the road. And uh, I was uh, due to go and entertain them one evening and then um, Priscilla just said no, apparently, to somebody. It didn't matter who I was or whatever. Didn't want to see an Elvis impersonator. They weren't into them uh, as yeah. such. It wasn't their bag. You know, um, there was a big battle going on between the, the, the rights of Elvis's music and, and all these little white chapels and Elvis impersonators and stuff like that going yeah. on for years. Until eventually they resolved it. Lisa Marie sold 85% of the name, image and likeness. There are three different entities uh, to a company called CKX. Um, and she kept on to the house Graceland and she kept 15% of it and she sold it for $100 million. Um, and uh, Elvis's plane was named Elisa Marie, of course, after his daughter, which shows you how much he adored her. He used to phone yeah. her every night when he was away from home, when he was on stage. And if there was one thing that broke Elvis's heart was the was the effect that it may or may not have on his daughter yeah. uh, and being away from his daughter, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, you know that kind of thing. His, his, his story, I'm sure, Mark, could fill many books and many documentaries oh, if it's ever properly told. Do you know, um, Kate points out he did an awful lot in the earlier part of his career particularly to promote the music of black people. Because he did. and he promoted, he was an incredible gospel singer. He was phenomenal he was. He loved gospel. gospel singer. Phenomenal he was. Gospel he, 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 he learned. He learned a lot about music through the black gospel sings, the all night gospel sings. He loved the Statesman Quartet. He loved the Golden Gate Quartet. He loved mm. the the Stamps, the Imperials. He uttered the words one time, "How they all in Glockamara." There's a cock connection to you know. <laughs> and, and he called. And he called. <laughs> and he would and bring. He met him, you know. He, yeah, and he said, yeah. Did he? And, and he in Glockamara. He would bring know? the the gospel performers with him, which was risky in those days. Like in in 
in, in America where it wasn't the done thing. He was, he was, I, I, I someday they'll do a definitive documentary um, on him. Well, yeah, I, 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 I suppose my, my, Joe Jackson, you know, Joe Jackson, the, the, the journalist, he, he just, yes, he just finished a book there on um, Richard Harris. I mean, he asked me to do a kind of a theatre show with him on all the facts of Elvis, and we were kind of working loosely on a thing called Is Elvis in Heaven, you know, and, 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 you know, going back on Elvis's life and speculating and talking about him, the different things, the connections to, to Ireland and, and his significance in the world. I mean, he packed an awful lot in for the first 21 years of his life. He was unknown. He was a truck driver. And, um, you know, right. Elvis's father said to him, he said, son, he said, you better make up your mind about driving a truck or playing a guitar. He said, personally, he said, I never saw a guitar player was worth a damn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know. Yeah, that, I heard that story before. The, Mark, the last 21 years of his life, he was very famous. You know? let's, let's talk a little bit about you, if you don't mind. You've, you've, yes, sir. you've written a book uh, about... I've written four books. Yeah, well... Four books, good man. 30 yeah, years yeah. of compulsive gambling because right, yeah. it afflicted you. And we were talking about gambling last week on the programme. And, and you cool. reckon this is the book that if you read it, you'll never want to gamble again. You, well, you won't bet the same again because you'll see the advantage, the house advantage. I broke it all down. See, I like I, without sounding ego, egotistical or, or anything like that, I don't want people to pick me up the wrong way. I was blessed. This whole Elvis thing came on me completely by accident. I, I was I was at drama school in London. I started going up on the stage in a place called Dicey Riley's. I worked in the Galty Moor. Uh, the lead singer of a band didn't show up one night and the boss famously asked me to go up on stage in front of the band uh, so that they didn't have to cancel. And uh, and I did. And people said, oh, you sound like Elvis. And and uh, so I started to get the jumpsuit and get the whole show together. And I made over two and a half million euros from doing Elvis. Wow. And I packed out co- concert halls and venues. I traveled the world. I'd been all over the world. I was booked by huge oil companies in the Middle East and, and all sorts of things. And, and But my problem was, even though I'm a recovering alcoholic, I go to AAM after drink 30 years. I transferred the obsession I had for alcohol into gambling. Mm. And so I was sitting alone in Las Vegas, you know, thousands of miles away from my Tralee home and, uh, you know, putting money up on the table at the early hours of the morning trying to win the unwinnable. And so I, I wrote that book called Viva Lost Wages, which is the title. Um, and uh, it breaks down the um, the mathematics uh, upon which all those casinos in the middle of the Mojave Desert are built and upon which the whole um, the, the, the gambling industry thrives, you know. Mm. The house always wins, doesn't it, Mark? It does, but the, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, about 70% of the profits come from around 4% of the customers, you know, which is a, which is very sad, really. And, and, and I was firmly ensconced in that 4% as a, as a compulsive, addictive gambler. Thanks be to God I haven't bet for a long time. You know, okay. the last time I bet there was a horse named after me called Emerald Elvis, you know, and I was of the opinion he was going to win and I had an obscene amount of money on him and he finished well down the field and it, it started me off on, on another spree that cost me the price of another house. Um, wow. You know, but uh, crazy, crazy stuff altogether. But, the price, um, Mark, but the, the, the price stopped, of a house, you know? mate. The price of a Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that must be, was that one of your lowest points? Like when you start losing the price of a house? Well, you see, I suppose money is money, but you see, behind every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. You know, um, I I, I was inside in a church one day and I kind of came to my senses and the, the line that came into my head was, they gambled at the foot of the cross. 
so gambling was intrinsically there was a there was a there was a little bit of evil woven through it you know they cast lots for the lord's clothes at the foot of the cross that came into my head mm. and and i just asked god for help and i stopped i went into to uh, to ga and um and and i haven't had a bet since you know um mm. i've no desire for it today i i'm a very creative person and um you know i i i i do i have other business things but um no it, it but i do feel for people that that are caught up in that addiction that are that are going in and out of these um casinos that are that are you know uh, all over the place now uh, private members clubs and and all that kind of thing <laughs> and these people i've i've talked to so many people that were at the foot of suicide wanting to throw themselves off of piers and and take their own lives and tried to on several occasions borrowing from money lenders you see that's the reality that people don't talk about uh, mm. behind all this it and and uh, it's it's unfortunate really, the, you know? the other thing about it too mark and you said you had the alcohol addiction so you know the physical effects of that but gambling yes doesn't have visual physical effects so you can be that's right. compu- you can be gambling compulsively and and no one will know that's right. It robs you of your net worth. You have the shell outside, you know, you're, you, you, but inside everything you've worked for and all your money is gone. Um, you know, I famous, famously, one guy, a friend of mine there, I said to him, look, I said, after a losing spree, I said, how are you? I bought him a cup of coffee. He couldn't afford a cup of coffee. He was hungry. I said, why don't you go home and watch television? He said, Mark, I'd love to go home and watch it. But he said, I sold it and, 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 and gambled it. Good God. Yeah, so, you know. Did you, you said you made colossal money on the Elvis show, and, and having seen you, you deserve every penny. You were absolutely oh, brilliant, stop. I don't mind saying to you. You were frighteningly good, and I'd say that to you now. You. And I've seen a few. Well, some you. of it came by accident. I, I had know, an Elvis were, clock that you, went phenomenal. <laughs> you, you were astonishingly good. How much of that Thank money you. did you lose? A, a lot of it. Um, but today... You know, I earn more than I've earned even as Elvis. I very, I, I, I'm, I'm a very strong believer um, in, in, you know, spirituality. And so, when I reached the age Elvis died at 42, I said to myself, Do "You know what? I don't want somebody to pass my grave and say, oh, there lies Mark Lean. He was a great Elvis.' In other words, that's all that there was to him." So I said to myself, what's the next phase of my development going to be like? What's the next chapter of my life going to be like? I'm going to, Elvis died at 42, Emerald Elvis will die at 42. So I did my last concert with the RT Concert Orchestra in uh, the Board Gosh in Dublin. I cried all the way down to Tralee, you know, inside in the car. And all I could see was the lights of the, the, the cars in front of me in the rain. And the, the memories were going through my mind about 16 years of, of doing Elvis all over the world. But... I gambled an awful lot of it. I, I couldn't hold on to it, you know. Um, uh, I would build up amounts of money and then go on these sprees and stuff like that. But I was lucky. I had a great. I have a great wife, and you know, I was able to focus once I stopped. And um, thanks be to God, today now I've a number of different properties, and and uh, you know, I, I I have a billboard company, which is like a touch of Las Vegas. You know, those big advertising yes. billboards. Um, so I have a few of them around the place. Um, I have trademarks um, that I'm going to exploit, um, and um, you know, I, I that's what I do, kind of a thing. I have a coffee <laughs> shop in Tralee called the New Place with my wife we run together um, and, and stuff like that so that's what I do today but I, I, I have to keep myself busy if I'm idle then you know I'd be bored and I'd be in and out of places or, or and there's a thing so. there's a question you, you got to the point without me bringing you there is it still something it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You have to watch... Yes, I will always be an addict. I will always be a compulsive gambler and an alcoholic. Um, I have to watch, you know, a box of chocolates because I, 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 if I open them up, I, I'd probably eat half of them. But at the same time, it has its rewards by being honest about it. People say, well, why would you say these things? Like Michael Healy, Ray there, and I'm not, you know, in any way um, affiliated with any party or political persuasion. But he turned around and he said that in the paper there, I was surprised to see it in the local paper. He said that Viva Las Wages was the best book he read in 2022. They asked what was the best book that he read. And he said that one because he said it will instruct um, uh, the debate in Darlene on the gambling industry wow. uh, in early 2023. And that was, I suppose, that's the highest compliment that you that's can get. That's a very, very from an addict's point. It is, yeah, wow. uh, from an addict's point of view. But thanks be to God, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think if there was any message today for any um, person suffering uh, uh, from gambling, and believe it, they do they do suffer in silence. Uh, in, sure in, they in, do. We, we no longer have to leave our homes, PJ, to lose our homes. There's a quote for you. Yes. That's you know, a, actually, um, with the changes coming, and I, I'd, I'd love to stay much longer, but Time is, is short for us. Um, of course, of course. The, the new changes that are planned, I'm sure that you've had a read of them or a read of what we can get to see. Will they make a difference, Mark? Yes. Um, I think I think they will. The, the gaming industry will always find ways to usurp the the the, the legal uh, the law the law as regards uh, the gaming industry. Like for instance, they bring in fragrances from America to put through the the, the ventilation system. So scented areas have forty percent more gambling action than non scented areas. I mean, you know that's that's unbelievable. It's like breaking bread to or baking bread to sell a house. Yeah, a feeling of well-being uh, and euphoria and, uh, you know, everything is deliberate. Wow. Uh, the seats are ergonomically designed, you know, um, to keep blood flow going in the legs and, you know, at, while you're at the machines and they now uh, take all notes and cards rather than having to put in loads of change and all this wow. kind of thing. You could be down 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 in an hour. My God, my God. You know, so they will always find a way, is what I'm saying in answer to your question. Right. They tried it one time with the maximum you could bet was two pence, but I know a guy that lost 36,000 at two pence a time. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 36,000 at two pence a time over a period of a couple of days. Good God. You Mark. know, bags of two pences, throwing them into a poker machine. Mark, thank you. That's, that's an astonishingly frightening 
picture to paint to leave us with. Can I come back to Lisa well, Marie? Fair for... play to you. Fair play to you, PJ, for highlighting it. No, 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 doing no, Elvis. No. We wound up talking about this, but Did, fair play to you. I, for highlighting well, I want to come back to Elvis briefly because we've had a question come in. Shiona wants mm. to know: Is it true that Lisa Marie thought about buying Mallow Castle? It wouldn't surprise me. They wanted to buy a castle. So they were in the Tipperary area. Their solicitor was in touch with me, the guy who was representing them. And he had relations in Tralee and I knew them. So that's how I was supposed to go up and entertain them while they were staying up there. But they were looking around at Irish castles. Um, And uh, they stayed for a while, like I said, in in, in Rotherham, uh, 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 Rotherfield in in, uh, East Sussex. Um, so that's why, they, but they love the fact that they could be left alone here. You know, that paparazzi mm. and the people flashing photography and, you know, and then you have to ask yourself about the son and why he took his own life mm. and all these different things. You could speculate, but one thing is for sure, um, you know, Elvis used to say uh, to the to the Memphis Mafia, he used to say, fellas, uh, I, I definitely won't uh, live much past 40 and I, I, I know I'm not going to see 45. He used to say that to the boys and uh, because there was a history of heart problems in the yeah. family. Yeah. But um, but he, Elvis's cause of death, for anybody who wants to know, is um, cardiac arrhythmia as a result of polypharmacy. Polypharmacy. Yeah. Polymulticolored. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of different tablets. Yeah. Right. So yeah. The, he car- that caused his cardiac arrhythmia. That's what Elvis is. And he thought by just getting them from the, the, the pharmacy or whatever that they weren't, they didn't cause any, there's, there's, you know, damage. There's they a whole, were prescribed a whole, by a doctor. A, a whole addiction story there as well. Yeah. Mark, Mark yeah. listen, yeah. it's been fascinating yeah. to talk. Maybe in the course of the year when we know more about the gambling bill, you and I might talk again. Would you like that? Absolutely. My right. pleasure. And thank you to you and your producer and God bless everybody in, in uh, the true capital of Ireland, Cork. Uh, go on. And that come up from a Kerry man. That's high praise indeed. Mark Lean, the ever Emerald Elvis. I saw him years ago. He was sensationally good. Viva Lost Wages is his book. Uh, that was a broad conversation. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96FM. Right, let's clear some of our correspondence. Uh, I don't know who this was, but slow drivers. This was on uh, road safety with Conor Faulkner on. And speed is still the, the biggest killer on the roads. So they keep telling us year in, year out. Slow drivers, though are also a hazard. People trying to pass a slow car end up crashing into an oncoming one. Thank you. We got this email in this morning from Anne on the shortage of medicines. I read either last night or this morning, it was this morning actually, I read it on the bus coming in, about there's 234 drugs now that are in short supply or indeed out of stock. And Anne says by email to opinion at 96fm.ie Hi PJ, we're supposed to be one of the richest countries in Europe. We seem to be offering refuge to the whole world and no money is an issue there. We won't pay for medicine now for our people. We take in huge amounts of corporation tax. We don't build enough houses. We'll allow very sick people on trolleys. What are they all doing in the doll? Time for a Monday morning meeting as soon as possible. For goodness sake, our Taoiseach is a doctor. Surely he realised the shortage of medicine will cause more death. Why can't he at least provide more funds 
for medicine for the next three months. Are they manufactured in Ireland? Can we get them from abroad? I thought antibiotics were much cheaper in Europe. Or are the suppliers at fault? That's from Anne. Well, one thing we learned last week talking about this is that even though some of the major drugs on the market are made here in Ireland, some of the most commonly used drugs that are in every medicine cabinet in the country, over-the-counter stuff, they're made here. But there's so much of it exported that we sometimes don't have any left for ourselves. 0818969696 on Baby James. Emer's story about Baby James. I've just heard the most beautiful story. In all the heartbreak, Emer had the graciousness to say in years to come, if he brings a man or woman to the door, she'll relate the drama. That's diversity in its rawness. Well done, Emer. And best of luck to James and family. That's from Jer. I know exactly what Emer's going through. Our granddaughter is up and down to Crumlin. The hospital staff are just amazing. She knows all the doctors and nurses by name, and they're fantastic to her. She has an operation now on Friday, so please pray for her. She's a very special little girl. Well, if you had her given us her name, we could have mentioned her by name, but maybe you don't want to share that. On road safety, Kate says, I'm a woman myself, but have you noticed... Obviously, this Kate. But the number have you noticed the number of women drivers who just wave at you when they've made a mistake as if waving at you makes it okay. <laughs> oh Kate, I'm not gonna agree or disagree with that. Cause I get myself into trouble either way. Good morning to the good people of Ballanderry Park who are struggling to get around in the dark. <laughs> there are no streetlights in Corablon, Ballarandary Park and the Ring Road for the last six nights. We can't see a thing up here. PJ, can you get them switched back on? You'll be a local hero. Enjoyed you yesterday on all these Irish. I was dancing in the kitchen. That's from a listener in Ballandary. Well, thank you but for yesterday. That was a lovely comment. We I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun on Oldest and Irish yesterday. And like I said, Derry's got another day off booked, I think, in May of 2027. So, back then. But it doesn't take that many Sundays off. But yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. Thank you. But Corablon, Ballanderry Park and the Ring Road. No lights. No street lights for the last six nights. We can't see a thing. Can we get something done about it? Well, if any of our local councillors from that particular neck of the woods are listening, lads, finger out. That's as much as I can do for you. 0818 96 96 96. We will do Live Free in 23 within the hour. That's the promise. Within the hour we will do Live Free in 23. And people ringing up to know, what do I say? What do I say? You say, I want to live free with Cork's 96 FM. I know for the first day or two, people will say all sorts of weird things on the phone. Say, I want to live free with Cork's 96 FM. If you do that, when we call you, it'll get you into the final. We're going to do it between now and quarter to 12. All right. Between now and quarter to 12. It's brought to you by Cork Credit Unions, here for you always, and it's only on Cork's 96 FM. 
Cork's 96FM loves Irish music. As part of Irish Music Month this March on independent radio across Ireland, we want you to take part in our local hero talent search. If you're in a band or solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM. It's your chance to win an overall €10,000 prize fund. Get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details, see 96FM.ie. Irish Music Month this March. Proudly supported by Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund on Cork's 96FM. Today has a special name. Third Monday in January is known as Blue Monday, which of course just gives me an opportunity to do that. (laughs) Look it up wherever you get your music. New order. Massive 80s hit Blue Monday. Anyway, just a quick lash of that behind me. For the sake of the day that's in it, today is, is, is deemed Blue Monday, where they say it's the toughest Monday of the year for anybody who might be prone to depression of any kind. Now, I read an article in the paper yesterday where a psychiatrist was saying, no, actually, there's absolutely no science at all behind this. But I don't know. I thankfully have, I've said this before, very robust and very solid mental health. I'm grateful for it every single day. But but I hate January with an abiding passion. <laughs> I really, really do. Um, because it's got about 73 days and there's no end to it. Now I look out at that gorgeous day there and if that didn't make you smile, then you really do need help. But Stephen O'Brien, you've been through the, the, the depression mill uh, and you've a long story to tell, but, but would you have gotten particular days like the middle of January where it was worse for you? Morning. Are we getting on those things? Good. Could you imagine, um, was January a bit of a long arse month and the long dark days and the cold nights? Would that get to you if you were a bit troubled? So, I do believe it would. Um, thinking back now from where I was before and stuff like that, I don't think it was something that really would have been something that would have stood out for me. Um, But I can definitely see how if it's getting dark early, a lot of people are getting up, going to work and stuff like that, that it's already dark. They're not really seeing much sunlight. Um, I can definitely see how that will drag people down. It'll also impact people's motivation to be able to do anything, especially when it's cold and wet and stuff like that. Well, the reason I was saying that, I've I've always had, and I'm, I'm so delighted and that I've had very good mental health, but I, I do know this time of year, I, I do hate January because of exactly what you said. Long, dark days and long, dark nights, and it's it's hard going sometimes. So if I'm finding it hard, then someone who struggles really would. Your own story is, is fascinating. When did it start, Stephen? When did you start to feel a bit down? first um for well for me really like it started when i was younger and i was i suppose in my teenage years um like when i look back now a lot of stuff does make sense um like i was very shy very quiet very insecure but i'm just an introvert person um by nature that's the way i kind of see it now um but for me i kind of had a lot of mental battles with myself trying to figure out why why am i like the way i am mm. um on top of that then going through kind of issues at home where parents split up and all that kind of stuff and um, leading on to having issues in school and stuff where I found it kind of hard to fit in. So for me to 
I suppose, wanting people to like me. I was the one that would get in trouble all the time. I was the one that was smoking out the back of the school or in the toilets or whatever. So I was always kind of seeking attention. Mm. Um, so trying so to really people, was in, in my teenage years yeah, when it all kind of started off. Trying to get people to like you. But at the same time, I think you didn't like yourself very much, did you? Oh, 100%. I actually despised myself Why? who I was I hated looking Why? in the mirror um, I suppose because I used to look at other people and other people would be getting attention and other people I could see how they'd be good at having conversations and stuff like that and I just found myself why can't I ever be like that why is there something wrong with me um, but a big thing now when I look back on it is that I kept telling myself these things I kept telling myself oh I'm just shy I'm just quiet I'm never going to fit in and the thing is, your mind doesn't know what's the difference between what's real and what's made up. So if you keep telling yourself these things, then eventually you're going to start to believe it. And when you start to believe it, you start to act upon it. Mm. So for me, I was just kind of in this vicious cycle where I was putting myself down without even realizing it. Mm. Are there kind of two, Mar- uh, two Stevens in your head? I, and what I mean by that is you stand here at my window in Studio One and you say, look out at that beautiful day. Make anybody smile, make a stone smile. And then the other Stephen is saying, I am it'll rain again tomorrow. Is that kind of a thing going on in your head all the time? You wouldn't so allow you wouldn't back, allow yourself to be happy. Oh yeah. Back then, yeah, one hundred percent. I had so I had so many negative thoughts going through my head that there wasn't much positivity stuff coming in at all. Yeah. And I was just dampening my my mind, I suppose, with negativity all the time. So it's kind of in that vicious cycle. Yes, yes, you were, you were, you were doing a lot of this to yourself, and of course you couldn't help it. So what changed then? Um, I suppose I went through a bad patch there, where like I was in an abusive relationship and stuff like that, and things just really kind of spiraled out of control, and I ended up being suicidal. And I tried to tried to hang myself once, I tried to slip my wrist a couple of times, and the biggest turning point for me was actually going to the gym. Really? That was like a massive turnaround for me. Really? And it was at a stage I lived, at the time I lived over in Tenerife. So I was just kind of, li- 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 I was living a lifestyle of just kind of drinking and partying and just living off fast food and stuff like that. And it was, whenever I went into the gym, it was just a way for me to release any anger, frustration, fear. And I suppose as well, when I look back on what I was doing, I was literally training hard. I was releasing endorphins, which automatically make you feel better. So I'd have that quick boost of feeling good. And that was, I suppose, my addiction. I just wanted that feeling again and again and again. And that was the, that was the stepping stone for me to turning everything around. Right. So now I've been like a personal trainer now for a decade and a half at the moment. I've been working with a lot of people around mental health and mindset and all this kind of stuff. So when I look back now, it's, it's, that was really the very first step for me to move forward. How, how much of our physical well-being determines our mental well-being? Oh, there's a huge percentage of it. Massively. Um, like... I get a lot of people and they just say, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to look like this. But at the end of the day, it's not about looking a certain way. It's about feeling a certain way. And looking a certain way is just your stepping stone to actually making you feel the way you really want to be able to feel. And that comes down to your physical, which is going to be your exercise, even what what foods you're eating, um, 
what kind of rest you're getting. Are you actually looking after your own mental health as well, even doing personal development? That was another huge uh, part for me, um, going on a personal development journey. Mm. And for anyone that is kind of struggling at the moment, there's a really good book called The Power of the Subconscious Mind okay. by a guy called Joseph Murphy. Um, like for me, I, I wouldn't be able to sit down and read a book, but I've listened to that audio book, I'd say about seven times. And it comes back to what I was saying a minute ago, that the more you kind of tell yourself something or the more you hear something, the more you start to believe it. And that's what I find really good with stuff like person development books is that you're constantly listening to things and stuff is starting to be embedded into your subconscious mind. And when you start hearing them over and over, then you, you start to reframe your thinking at stuff. Mm -hmm. So even though you might have memories or you might have tragic situations that you may have been through, like you're never going to get rid of the memory, but mm -hmm. you can change how you see and how you feel against that memory. And once you've done that and you kind of reprogram your mind to think different, everything else starts to change for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a huge part for me as well. Now, there are people who's been able to do that. Coming back to January uh, and the fact that even though, as I said, that clinical psychologist who is, or psychiatrist whose name has gone out of my head now that I read about it in the paper, there is no clinical connection between the third Monday in June and anything. But I guess it is because Christmas is gone, New Year is gone, payday is about six months away and you can feel a bit down in yourself. So for someone who is struggling right now and who maybe doesn't have a whole pile of money to spend on feeling better, where do they start, Stephen? Um, well, 100% exercise. Like, you don't even have to join a gym to, to, to go training. You could get out, if you're someone that hasn't done any training or done anything at all, get out and just start walking. Um, if you've done a small bit, then maybe you could even look up online, you're going to get free home workouts and stuff, you can start with that. Um, but I think the biggest part as well is just kind of taking a step back and looking at your lifestyle at the moment and just asking yourself, what is one to two things you can do today in order to help you take that first step and move forward? Mm. Whether it's going for a walk, whether it's drinking a bit more water, whether it's trying to get a bit more fruit and veg in and not overthinking it, not overcomplicating it, just mm. picking one to two things that you can focus on for now. And then after a couple of weeks, pick another one to two things and slowly start building on it then from there. Yeah. Um, even listening to an audio book or doing some personal development. Again, spend five minutes doing it. You know, you don't have to sit down for hours doing something. Just take that one little step that eventually can lead you to bigger steps moving forward. There, there is a thing where we're encouraged over the last number of years, and I think the pandemic may have had something to do with it, Stephen. You may have some thoughts on this. How important it is in every day to have five minutes for me and to be completely selfish about it, these five minutes are for me. How important is that? Oh, really important. You need time to yourself. You need to be able to switch off from your daily cycle because before you know it, the weeks are going to go past and the months will even go past and you'll have done nothing for yourself at all. Mm. But again, even just giving yourself that five minutes allows you to, to, to feel, I suppose, feel even a bit more grounded even if it's just getting out and going for a walk for five minutes. Yeah. Um, like I know a lot of people get so caught up even with work and stuff like that, that they have no balance with themselves or anything. Mm. Yeah. Um, Are you back in Cork now? Are you based in Cork now? Yeah, no, I'm based in Cork now. I, I lived in Australia for over seven years, moved yeah. back to Cork. Um, but even like for me, like I um, was over in Australia, had a really successful business, came back to Ireland, had to start from scratch again. Mm. Um, 
then I, I'm working out of a gym there in Glamour, Evcore, and then I moved from there up to another gym because it was a change of ownership. I had to start from scratch again, came back into Glamour again, started from scratch. So because of the personal development I've done on myself, I never let any kind of obstacles that come into my way in my life now hold me back and drag me down. And can you I've learned to really to somebody, Stephen? Oh, 100%. Right. 100% you can teach it to someone. Like I said a while ago, it's just about looking at situations from a different angle. Yeah, because I think people struggle a lot with setbacks. I think, you know, it's part of modern life. Setbacks are part of modern life. But if you're a little bit fragile, a setback is a catastrophe. Yeah, 100%. But it's it's learning to stop and re, stop and re-look at that situation again. So if someone has gone through something and it's really kind of thrown them off, even just asking themselves, okay, okay, how could I have dealt with this different? Or asking the question, okay, if I acted different against this situation, what impact would it have on my life? Or even if because of the way I've acted, what value is it adding to me right now? Okay. So asking powerful questions, I think, can, can really impact how you move forward the next time something comes up. Okay, how to reflect, look inside your, your own mind and ask yourself these questions yeah. and, and win that Definitely. discussion that's going on in your mind. Stephen O'Brien Coaching can be found on Facebook. Uh, thanks for talking to me today. No problem. Yeah, it's on Facebook as well and I've got a website as well, Stephen O'Brien Coaching. So Okay, okay. enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen O'Brien. 0818 96 96 96. If you need help... You can call the Samaritans, 116123. Aware.ie are there with a free phone, one 808 That's from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. You can call your GP, uh, or if you, you think you're at immediate risk, or if someone else is at immediate risk, pick up that phone and dial 999 or 112. Stephen O'Brien Coaching, you'll find him on Facebook or on the web. And he's been there, done that, worn the T-shirt, and now he's back in Cork and he says he can teach you to do the same. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. The Minds are Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Yes, in the next 40 minutes, you're looking at an opportunity to live free. In 23 with Cork Credit Unions here for you always. We will be looking for someone to call us to qualify for the final. To win things like a thousand euro to spend on fashion. To win things like 500 euros hair and beauty treatments. 500 euro for takeaways. And a golden pair of tickets for every gig at the marquee. All part of Live Free in 23. We want you to say to us on the phone when you not before I tell you when you ring I want to live free or when we call you rather when we call you that's what we'll do 
I want to live free with Cork's 96FM. All right? We'll call a number. I want to live free with Cork's 96FM. You'll send us a text or a WhatsApp message and then we'll pick someone and we'll ring them live on the air. And you have to answer by saying, I want to live free with Cork's 96FM. And it's now seven, maybe eight minutes past 11. I will do that within 40 minutes. There's a car has hit the ditch uh, in Cars Hill near Carrigaline. I hope no one's injured there, just to be wary of it. 0818 96 96 96. Now look out at that weather. Isn't it only glorious? Yes, it's bitterly cold outside. And looking at all the various apps, it's going to be dry and very cold for the next few days and few nights. A lot of frost, not so sure about snow, and not so sure about freezing fog or anything like that but certainly our weather is now going to get stable, cold and dry and bright for the rest of the week across Cork. I'm looking at Carlo weather and Alan O'Reilly is predicting an improvement again after the weekend. Uh, We might get some really nice weather for the back end of January but did we get it wrong yesterday? Did the forecasters get it wrong yesterday because we were given the impression that we'd have weather hell from Monday to Friday. Snow and sleet and rain and wind and cold and all those things that you kind of expect at the middle to end of January. But Alan, it's beautiful out there now as I look out onto Cork City. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. The blue skies are, are certainly a welcome welcome return. It's, it's really you know? lovely out there and looking at your models, although only you can read them, I can't. <laughs> your models are very optimistic now for the back end of January. Yeah, it does look like high pressure is going to build up towards us from around the weekend. So next week is, now it's still a bit off in weather terms, but the, the trend has been very much for this to happen. So we'd see a break from that wind and rain that seemed to be relentless there. Um, and it's it's certainly hopeful that we'll see a more settled spell and not too cold either because the high pressure is going to push up from the south and yeah. kind of trap us in now. It doesn't always mean clear blue skies, but it does mean certainly more settled weather. We take the settled. We take the settled. Now, for the next few days, cold, crisp, dry weather. Will we get there? There snow all over the UK today. Will we get snow? Do you think at any stage? Funny one that because it does look like some parts of West Cork, especially, could see some snow. Actually, so we're going to have showers catching kind of the southwest corner of the country this evening, um, tonight, and again tomorrow, and possibly even into Wednesday morning. Now, it's a tricky one to forecast, but if, for example, if you put in Cork City into the high-resolution weather models and, say, even put it into Meharan's website, you'll probably see that it's dry. But if you stick in Bantry in Cork, I'm guessing you're going to see the snow symbol appear. Yeah. because there is a risk of some showers. Now, it's a risk of showers, PJ. It's not any kind of dumping of snow or anything like that. But it only takes a couple of showers and then the hard frost to come in to create some very local treacherous conditions. Mm. So it, it is something, especially, as I said, the western side of the county in Cork is more at risk um, of showers. But there will be some good blue skies again tomorrow as well. But it's, It is still going to be mm. bitterly cold yeah, well, and with, again, with, as with, I say, on Tuesday with, night. With the cold and frost tends to come the brightness. It's it's the, the little plus side of it. 
Yeah, it generally does, unless that fog, as you mentioned, kind of sits in and lingers, and there is a chance of some of that. But no, once once there's no fog, then generally, you know, the cold, crisp air is certainly definitely better than the wind and the rain, and you'll see a lot more blue skies. And it also helps the heating bills. You get a bit of heat coming through the windows. So it's, a, it's definitely a, a much better kind of feeling than the maybe the seven eight degrees wet and windy weather that feels every bit as cold because it's dark and it's gloomy and yeah. I, I know everyone's talking about blue monday today but it's uh, it's good to have the blue skies above us on blue monday to give yeah. us a bit of a lift have we had an unusually damp couple of weeks because my garden is a sea of mud now it always is but usually it's a bit later in january before it's a sea of mud yeah we have we, we've we've had a very wet start to the year um, now, especially down around the west um, and even even the southwest, I am um, like Sharkin Island has had 126 millimeters of rain already. That that's more than the month average for the last few years, or just under the kind of the long term monthly average. So we've almost had a full month of January rain, and we're only at the 16th. So it has been a very wet start to January, unfortunately, and that came on top of, I suppose, a wet October, November as well. So river levels and water tables have been very high. All right. Alan, we'll, and we talk throughout the year, it's always great to be able to, to chat with you. Over the last couple of years since you started doing this, oh, I know it's a hobby for you, and it's, but it's become almost a full-time job now. Um, climate change. You've noticed changes in the modelling and in the predictions, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. The, the biggest issue is the, the the more extremes. You know, I mean, weather and climate are connected, but they are different. But the problem that we're seeing, the impact of climate change on weather is that we're seeing more extremes when we get it. And look, the science tells us that the hotter air, the warmer air holds more moisture. So I my big concern for Ireland from climate change is flooding and our lack of adaption to flooding and the lack of a flood forecasting weather model that was meant to go live at the end of last year that's still not live because mm. flooding, I think, is probably the biggest single impact that we're going to see in Ireland over the coming years. Are you saying that we get, and we do get these yellow and orange wind and rain wind and rain warnings, we get them in the sun, we get yellow and orange heat warnings, we get yellow and orange frost and ice warnings and occasionally red for hurricanes and things like that. Do we need a flood scale like that? Are we supposed to have a flood scale like that? We have. They've been working on it for a good few years in the Met Air and OPW, and it was due to go live at the end of last year. And if you look at the UK, they have a brilliant flood forecasting system where, you know, it looks at local rivers, it looks at predicted rainfall level, it looks at the ra- water levels, and it can tell you areas that are prone to flooding and, and alert areas. So if you're living near a river, you can get a, a forewarning of the impact of the heavy rain, because you could get a yellow warning for 30 mil today and another one tomorrow and another one the day after. And each of those on their own are are only yellow events. But the cumulative effect of that would mean that you could have 90 millimetres and that could be the difference between someone's house flooding and not flooding. So the weather warning system is not a flood warning system. And there is one coming. Now, I don't want to get into too much, PW, your listeners will get bored, but I've been playing ping pong between the OPW and Metair now for about six months in this. And they keep pointing to each other as to who's responsible for it. So I've yet to find out. And I even got a letter from the minister of Verde OPW to confirm that it was Met Aaron that are responsible. And Met Aaron have come back to me and said the OPW are responsible. Do you know what? I'd say there are meetings in various departments when that bugger down in Carlo, for God's sake, he's getting way too popular. <laughs> 
<laughs> Alan, always I'm, a pleasure. I'm sure my name is used in vain for pure pizza. <laughs> we, we will talk throughout the year and look forward to catching up with you whenever. Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. So it's in for a good, settled, cold week. And then optimistically, and he's got his graphs up. Thanks, Alan. He's got his graphs up on his Twitter that from next Friday into next week, which is the back end of January, it could be milder and not so much rain and the days are getting a little bit longer every day now is about a minute and a half longer than the day that went before and I was just looking at something this morning I have this little thing on my phone I have loads of weather apps on my phone but I have one that is Sunrise Sunset look it up, you'll find it it's a Sunrise Sunset app and it tells you when you're going to see light And I was working it out that we'll see light before 7 in the morning. Now, I'm not talking bright, but light before 7 in the morning from around Valentine's Day. And that's that makes me happy because I leave the house in the morning around 10 quarter to 7. And I love to see light in the sky as I'm preparing to leave because it tells me spring is coming. Ah, yeah. By the way, Alan O'Reilly, I've said this before and I'll say it again. He's the best out there. And if you want a reliable, accurate weather forecast, he's right a hell of a lot more than he's wrong. Forget Met Heron, forget the whole lot of them. Follow Alan on Twitter and he won't put you far wrong. We've had a call from Ballanderry Park. Hey, hey, the ESB truck has just arrived in Corrib Lawn. That was quick. You're my hero. And John Maher is great too. That's great. Now, I hope, to, I hope it is the flipping streetlights they're at. But the truck has arrived. Now, there's the power of the opinion line. 0818 96 96 96. Lewis Capaldi is ringing back fans in his own self-marketing. Somebody who bought his latest single, which went to number one straight away. He's ringing them randomly. Yeah, some of them not going so great. No. Right, calling people who downloaded my new single to thank them. This is Lily. Hello, is this Lily? Yeah. Lily, who's your favourite singer? Oh, she hung up. That was, uh, obviously, it must be a cheer. Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Exclusively Skoda in the City. Corks 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 FM. We read out... Uh, message earlier on about uh, a young kid. It was in response to my interview with Emer. Let me just find that. Ah, yeah, I know exactly what Emer is going through. And by the way, we put that up as a podcast just after the show, that interview with Ema Hallahan. Our granddaughter is up and down to Crumlin. The hospital staff are amazing. She knows all the doctors and nurses by name. They're wonderful to her. She has an operation on Friday, so please pray for her. She's a very special little girl. I said we didn't know her name. Her name is Naomi. And thanks for mentioning her. It would be great if people just thought of her during the week. I'm sure they will. 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of children, speaking of smallies, we have all done it. Put pictures of the children up on social media. Harmless family pictures, parties, beach trips, days out at the wood. Just stuff that you do with your smallies. You have a phone, you snap it, and up you go 
to whatever platform you choose, be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, probably mostly Facebook, I would think, although the gram as well. Uh, Anne-Marie O'Sullivan, you used to do that, and it was just a normal part of every day, but you have stopped, and you have been scrabbling furiously to get all your photos down. It was after you read an article. Morning. Morning. Yeah, you're right, PJ, I have. Um, so what the what I read was, or what I came across, was a post on Instagram uh, from a parenting influencer, and it just had one word on it, violated. So that kind of got my attention as to what this was about. Um, I clicked in, and what was behind it was screenshots that she had taken of her children that she had originally put on her own um, account, had been taken, and a fake account was made for the children. Wow. A separate account was, yeah, it's... It, quite unpleasant um, under it then where they, they had given them new names and new interests and captions asking people to direct message um, this person posing as the children um, it was just a kind of an awful thing to come across I realised that they're, they're dangerous to posting on the internet but I suppose this was some woman's real experience and there were her children up on somebody else's account being used she thought at least to lure other children to interact with them mm. um, it just it brought home a kind of frightening reality of these things are out there. Yes, of course, she's a different sphere, sphere to me. She's a parenting influencer. I have a sm- tiny, tiny number of followers. Yeah, she's but Katie Rose time, Pritchard, that, isn't she? That's she's her. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. And her, what went on here was it, Anne Marie, that her pictures of her children were snatched by screenshot or by other means and then used on fake accounts given different names as if they were somebody else's family or somebody else's children. That's it, exactly. It's a, it's a thing that happens online called role-playing. So it's where you take somebody else's pictures and you set them up as your own, a fake account, fake name, um, and then you interact with other people in a role-playing community where there's a lot of kind of direct messages happen between them. And what exactly happens within role-play communities is unknown because it, it happens privately, but it, it is quite unnerving. Um, the fact that you're, anybody can screenshot your pictures, you know, it's very easily done, even if you're private any of your followers can screenshot your pictures. So what happened with, there was a Stanford study into role playing and what they found happened was that the pictures go so far. So they go, let's say they start on Instagram, then they go to Pinterest. They might end up on Twitter. They're back on Instagram. You can't actually trace where they started. So there's pictures of the, of kids circulating and they're perfectly innocent pictures. It's just they're manipulated, I suppose, or used in a particular way or captions are put with them that makes it uncomfortable. Yeah. But they are they're used so widely that you can't actually trace where they started. Now, you made the point about even if your account is private, because if you're looking at something on a phone and a person's account is private and you like the picture, you literally go snap and you've taken like a screenshot in a matter of seconds. And then you can yeah. store that and use it as your own picture, even if the social media account is private. And that's something we can't stress often enough. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, it took me a long time to delete each picture. So I've been posting pictures of my kids for nine years, a little over nine years. And I had I scrolled all the way back to find them. And I was when I was doing it, I was like, is this just a big overreaction? You know, like, is this actually necessary? And I was talking to the tech experts for the article and they were saying absolutely not. That even if you're like, so I have 400 followers, very tiny amount. If I was to go private in the morning, I still don't know those 400 people. Yes. 
I still, you know, it's even though it's a tiny number, particularly in the scale of um, Katie Rose Richard or, you know, other influencers who have hundreds of thousands of followers, it's tiny figure. But at the same time, once it's online, the, the message from the experts really was once it's online, you lose control. Well, there's so the if thing. you're happy and, with and that, even, yeah, you go, And even go. if you go into your accounts and delete all those pictures and do hours and hours and hours of scrolling, you've no mm-hmm. way of knowing where it's gone. Well, that. Yeah, that's the frightening thing. Like she wouldn't have actually, this parenting influencer wouldn't have actually known it was gone except the person who set up the account went to follow her daughter, her teenage daughter, and it was her teenage daughter that spotted herself and her siblings on this person's account and brought it to her mother. Other than that, she wouldn't have known. Yeah. Like, that's the frightening thing of it, I think. There's one more, even more frightening thing, Anne-Marie, which um, I thought of as I read your article in, in The Independent and I thought, okay, there's role playing and there's putting up fake accounts with fake pictures of children, but there's other stuff that happens with pictures of children too that we wouldn't even want to discuss on mid-morning radio, but it can happen. It can, and the other side of it as well, like there's what danger is something I suppose that my eyes have been kind of wide open to, but there's another aspect when I talk to parents as well that they brought to my attention, which is consent. That I, when I was posting pictures of my kids, I didn't have their consent to do that. Um, You know, I didn't ask them for it. And now that I'm like, I'm still sending pictures, but I'll send them to family and friends by WhatsApp or, you know, private messaging. And now that I'm asking them, there's a lot of times that they go, no, I prefer you didn't. And I kind of go, I never, it didn't occur to me, you know, to kind of stop and ask, go, look, I'm going to post this up. 400 people. I know some of them. Are you okay with that? It's it's funny, actually. I was always thinking about children, you know, in terms of people putting pictures of their kids up on something like Facebook. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're seven Mm -hmm. and you have this cutesy picture uh, and your mother puts it up on Facebook and then you're 17 and someone mm-hmm. finds it and you go, ma'am, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. And there's people like with the following of, let's say, the capacity of the Aviva, you know, and they post pictures of their children. And as you say, when they grow older, there they are, you know, everything of their childhood and to different degrees. You know, some people will post one here and there and other people document their full lives. Like there's children I pass even in Cork and I go, oh, I know what they had for breakfast. I won't say hello. I don't know them, but I'll know what that, that they like gymnastics and that they, you know, mm. what they ha- eat for breakfast and just the, the level of information, I suppose, that's out there about children that they don't have any consent or control over and yeah. can't give meaningful consent because they don't know the full extent of what they're agreeing to. You know, mm. even if you do ask a six-year-old how much can they actually grasp of every, you know, the, the kind of knock-on effects of it, yeah. I think. And of course, they're digital natives. They've grown up with the phone glued to their hand. So putting a picture online is as normal to them as eating their breakfast. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that my level of what might be embarrassing might be very different from their level of what might be embarrassing, because as you say, they're natives to this, whereas I'm a blow in. And what I would find like the idea for me of having my childhood online in a kind of some kind of digitally curated way for public viewing makes my skin go, (laughs) you know, I would just I would have hated it. But children obviously have a different perspective. They're growing up in a different world to what I grew up in. So their understanding of it will be different. And that'll be interesting to know in time to come. But at the same time, I don't want to take the risk now of future embarrassment. I mean, mm. there's other ways I'm sure my mere existence will embarrass them at some stage. Oh, but, you know... How, how old are they? 
nine and six. Oh, you you don't know anything yet. Trust me. <laughs> no, now you took everything down. Mm-hmm. How arduous a task is that? And are there ways you've discovered where it might be speeded up, or is it literally one by one, clickety click? Well, that's what now there. I had the arduous way of one by one scrolling, finding one clickety click. Um, it took an eternity, and there are so if you for inst- Instagram, for example, if you go into your activity, you can see all your pictures, and then you can select multiple ones and delete kind of on mass, um, as opposed to how I did it, which was scroll, click, delete, yes, tick. So, you know, um, it was, there's a much easier, faster way of doing it. But at the same time, it depends how long you've been posting and how often you've posted. Like I was surprised to see, I would have considered myself a sporadic poster at best. Um, and then I found 250 of them a little over. So that was quite a surprise to realize that I'd accumulated that amount over the years. Yeah. They'd add up. Yeah. Yeah, and there are faster ways, like you say, but and it, it differs then platform to platform too. It does, and that's the thing is that often people, if they post on one platform, they'll kind of cross-post, you know, that, that'll turn up on another platform as well. So then you're you're doubling your efforts in terms of deleting them again. But for me, I suppose I just, I saw what can happen and it just occurred to me that this is a risk I don't need to take. Like they don't need to be on my account. Mm. So why would I leave them there? And why would I be like my husband doesn't post any pictures of the kids. So I'm solely responsible for posting their digital footprint. Um, So why would I be doing that? You know, when I don't need to. It just, it struck a chord with me. You mentioned two good sources for information, Webwise and ParentZone. Yes, yeah. And Webwise have a great kind of um, option there where it's like a little kind of a, a roulette where you just click it and it produces a topic and that's the topic for discussing uh, digital technology with your kids and it brings up loads of issues around consent or privacy um, and it just gives you a starting point as to if you're concerned at all about where you go, if you want to talk to your kids about this or how you broach it with them. It just kind of starts the ball rolling with the conversation. It's a great little resource. Okay. All right. Listen, Anne-Marie O'Sullivan, interesting discovery that you made and good research into how you go about sorting it out. There's a thing, though. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Do you put your children's pictures online? Is it about time to, whoa, stop a second, stop a second, it's a lovely thing, five-year-old's birthday party, trip to the beach, trip to the woods, wherever. It's lovely, it's cutesy, and it's happy, and it's great. But it's a minefield out there, an absolute minefield. And then Marie's talking about this role-play thing where someone takes a snap of your children's photo and uses it to pretend it's another family on another platform. That's just one element of it. I'm thinking more of the dark web and the strange people who habitate the dark web and the horrible, nefarious, nasty, gruesome things they will do with pictures of your children. And certainly, look, mine are adults now. So we're out of that neck of the woods. But certainly time around again, would I put pictures of two and three-year-old and four-year-old and six-year-old twins up on social? Uh, No, I most certainly would not, now that I know what can be done with them. 0818 
96 96 96. Live free in 23. Oh my God! With Cork Credit Unions. Here for you always. Spending money, money. Cork's 96 FM. Right, there's a holiday in here worth 2,000 euro. 1,000 euro to spend on fashion. A credit union account with the grand in cash and your name on it. And plenty more besides. It's live free in 23 with Cork Credit Unions. Only on Cork's 96 FM. So let us go. There's a phone line anyway. Let's go. Do, 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 zero. Eight, nine, three. Hope we get the right response at the end of the phone. Come on. I want to live free. Answer the phone. Yeah? Come on. Answer the phone! Answer the phone! You want to take pride? Answer the phone! Oh! This is going to be fun. Okay, let's go. Here we go. Same number now. Do, do. Right, come on. <laughs> it's not happening, is it? It's not happening. What do we do now? Will I give it one? It's day one. So will I give it one more lash and see what happens now? Here we go. Same number again. Do, do, do. Six. Do, do. Do, do, do. Three. Come on. Come on. It's ringing again. It's ringing again. I want to live free with course 96 FM. Oh, for God's sake, it took your time. Hey, hey. All right, Nessie, you still there? I'm still here. Right, yeah. So what exactly <laughs> happened there? I was ringing you and ringing you and ringing you. What happened? Yeah. So I, I went up for a stroll with my son. Um, I've been, obviously, have the phone come to me and I was trying to cross the road with him in my arms because I just took him out of his buggy and I could hear my phone ringing and I'm like, please, please don't be late to six FM. And I got across the road and I seen the number. I was like, oh my God. So I tried to ring back again. <laughs> Nearly having a heart failure at the side of the road. Well, actually, well, you see, we rang and then I said, right, will we give her a chance to ring again? Oh. And then you half picked up and then you half hung up. And I'm thinking, I've known on the other end. So let's go again. So you got it on the third time. Lucky. And seeing as it's day one, we're putting you through. So Thank you, you so much. Nessie, you are through. You are through. Oh, my You're God. Our first call oh God. on the opinion line. Uh, oh, yeah. Where brilliant. are you from, this is a great day today. Uh, Dylan's Cross. Dylan's Cross. All right, stay yeah. there. We'll give you all, we get all your details off air. Thank all you right, so stay much, there. PJ. Hang on there for me. She's back with you there, lads, for that one. More chances to win during the afternoon. Now, we will not be quite so charitable or quite so nice um, the rest of the week. But we said for today, we'd give it a go. It's uh, we get more details from Nessie there. Okay, uh, Paul, the dark web. I brought it up there in my conversation. Morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, there's a lot of scamming out there and a lot of nasty stuff out there. There's a huge amount now. Even last year, I noticed bits and pieces getting texts and the odd phone number, free own phone call from the 
uh, foreign countries and all that. You just pass them off. This year, there was, well, the late 22, huge amount, big increase. Yeah. But I I reckon now I've, I've got an awful, i got about a 50-fold increase in number, in texts and calls. And then late 22, I got a letter from the HSE stating that my details were being accessed during their hack. Oh, right. So, I presume, I just pres- I presume what we'll put one and two together and just presume says that that's where the, the increase is coming from. Yeah. That the details are sold on. Could be part of it. We, we were talking last week about uh, that there's a scam going on at the moment involving uh, Casey and Ross, uh, a fake Facebook account. Yeah, but are they really real anyway, them two? <laughs> There's that as well. But when you, <laughs> Stop it. You get me in trouble. But when you follow the link and it's just looking for uh, money... Yeah, I heard you. Yeah, to pay I mean, someone called into... Actually, the price one. They want to sell on, sell on your money and or sell yeah. on your, your, your details. And there was one this morning that I got... Um, and this is typical. My missus was in Dublin. I'd forgotten about this. She was in Dublin recently for a training course. And she drove along the M50 and... The the thing leaped. We have a a, a, a yoke in the car, so that's fine, right? But um, I got a, a text this morning saying there's an unpaid fee out there. There isn't. Yeah. But if you go through the link, you get into a very, a very, very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, appropriate looking, looking. Web, authentic looking website. Thank you. And before you know it, you've given your card and you've given your deets, and you are being scammed. Yeah. You just have to be more diligent with them these days because don't click on any link that you're sent either uh, electronically or over the phone. That's right, that's right. You know? That's right. Like even, even dealing with web designers, I'm, the last year I was looking at, and they're sending me links to different payment sites, and I'm thinking, yeah, we'll do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can be telling people a hundred times a day, your bank will never send you a text message with a link in it. Your credit union will never send you a text message with a link in it. To see, PJ, all it takes is for somebody to be uh, distracted for a second or two with something else, like that lady was carrying the child across the road. Yeah. And their mind is in a fuddle. Yes, yes. Then all of a sudden, oh Christ, I must get back to this, and then bang, 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 and before they know it, is this really happening to me? Something else as well, and we've talked to a few experts on this now. Um, two of them in particular come to mind would be Ronan Murphy at Smartech and uh, Graham Mulhern at Be Secure Online. I think Avril as well from Trend Micro. And they all say the same thing. These scam texts, the computer sends out thousands of them. All it takes is for two or three to bite. And well, they've that's got, all it does. All it takes is for that, and they've made money for the day. Yeah. All right, Paul, thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Have you ever tried to explore the dark web? Would you even know where to start looking for the dark web? I genuinely, because I've never bothered to look, I don't want to get into that mess. Um, I'm sure someone could show me, but I have never looked into the dark web. Um, I would love to talk, though, to someone who has browsed it for curiosity purposes now, not for the sake of anything that you might want to do on it. But if there's anybody listening who has been able to browse the dark web purely for curiosity, what is that? I mean, does it look like 
does it look like when you open up your Google or your Firefox or anything like that? Is, is that what it looks like? What does it actually look like when you open up the dark web? Anyone ever done it who's not been up to anything nefarious who'd like to share it with us? I really would appreciate a call at 0818. 96, 96, 96. Uh, yeah, it does look as if we've got some progress on the lights in Corablon and Ballanderi because we had a call before 11 complaining and then John Maher, the councillor, said he had been in touch with the appropriate authorities and he was hoping to have a move made today and then we know there's a because the truck has arrived. So if that is truck is fixing the street, let's be great to know. We can easily... You'll, you'll know this evening, won't you? There was an article in the paper at the weekend, a couple of different articles in the paper, about the state of Patrick Street. Um, some article described Patrick Street as being a bit like a pair of granny's dentures, that's from Tim, that you might find on her dressing table. Discoloured with tartar, lots of chips and gaps, and neglected for years. One article I read at the weekend, one in five premises on Patrick Street is now vacant. That's a sad state of affairs. And do you remember when your man came over here last year? Richard Quest, he was here from CNN. And he wrote very honestly about the state of Patrick Street. Having come out of the English market and been blown away by the English market, come out into Patrick Street and he was very honest and straight of course the powers that be nearly wet themselves oh how dare that awful man from the telly come over and say those things he was right he was dead right actually there's three stalls now available for rent or available to take over at the English market I wonder how much it would cost you to do that to actually set up a stall at the English market that's another article in the papers today alright Rose Tell me about this doggy. Morning. Morning. What happened? Um, now, basically, um, I had fostered a dog before Christmas and we kind of fell in love with him, so I adopted him officially last week. Good. So he is a Chihuahua Terrier cross. So there was a big match on Pocky Creeve yesterday and in Borey Manor Road. So I went to just make sure the gate was closed in my house. And with that, he just shot out. He's so small. He shot out, tore, tearing down the road. I went down, couldn't see him. So with that, a neighbour of mine, uh, somebody down the road had seen him, sent a photograph to people. Anybody know who was this dog? So with that, I went down. Uh, at this stage, there were seven, eight, nine people out in cars, walking, running, looking for him. He was spotted then up in Crab Lane. A woman tried to catch him there. And he was gone again. So basically, as I said, we were all on the phone. Some of these people I didn't even know yeah. at all. And uh, basically this girl then uh, got me and she said, there's a lady. And she said she caught him. She was with her husband and three children. And she ran after him and caught him. They brought them up, asked a neighbour, um, does anybody know who owns this dog? And he said yes. So he, she went to pass him over and he did a runner again. Oh, so she went tearing off down the road after him, left the husband with the, 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 the kids and the buggy. 
tore down one of the other people that were looking for him, saw her running down. She tore down after her as well. And the lady is, she actually got the dog. So in the meantime, the rest of us were on the, the cars giving, saying, right, he was spotted here. I go there, you go there. People I didn't even know yeah. were out in the cars. Now, there was a big match in Pocky in, um, Rin yesterday. So there were hundreds of people up and down Bury Manor Road, cars, everything. So you can imagine how difficult it was to find a small dog. Yeah. And it was just, I thought, you know, people, these people I don't even know. And the, the, the girl who actually, with the three kids that caught him twice, um, her name is Heather. I don't know her. Yeah. And um, I just love to say a huge thank you to her in particular. Um, she would have been the, the, the main hero, um, leaving her husband with the children <laughs> and <laughs> running down. And I'm just saying about, you know, people in general, you know, you people may not know their neighbours, but I feel that there is community everywhere if people just, you know, look out their eyes and see what it is. And I personally am a person, I didn't even know these people, but they knew of me, yeah. walking the dogs, because I'd always say hi to everybody. Isn't the weather lovely? Do you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think some, that's gone, Rose. Yes. Do you remember when we used to walk down the street and you went on your way down to the, to the shop for the paper yeah. and a loaf of bread and you could have three conversations on the way down? Well, I'm that. I'm, I'm old school. So I, I say hello to everybody. And how oh, isn't the weather great? Isn't it marvellous? Do you know, oh, that's a beautiful little dog you have. Oh, what are you playing with? Do you know, with kids and stuff. And if people do kind of, a lot of people, I think they're kind of growing up now with the, like, oh, we shouldn't talk to people. Yeah. But yes, it just shows you things like that. People are still the same in general. Do you know? You're, and, you're right. You're, you're right. There's, there's you know? far more decency than yes. badness out there. Yes, and I didn't even know some of these people. Mm. And yes, other people recognised me. They said, oh yeah, I know the lady that walks that dog. And I didn't know them. So, it took, you know, people do wow. know you. And I, I was, another man went and dropped his dogs and came out with his leash. He took my number. He was giving, I'm up here now and I see a friend of yours. She's after going down that way. She was like a child gone missing. Yeah. Well, you know, if you if you are a dog lover, a missing dog is a big thing, and you understand this, you know. Yes, where, and she's where, only where, a puppy. Where, yeah, where did you come across her? Tell me the story. Where did I come across the other dog? Yeah. Oh, basically, um, I always had uh, dogs, and my last guy, he would have been the first of the three. I had three Westies. He passed away okay. over a year ago. Right. Now, I love dogs. Every dog, no matter how big, small, I yeah. love them. Yeah. And um, I said I wasn't going to get any more dogs um, because I thought it was heartbroken, to be honest, yeah. with the three of them. And I said, I'm not going through that again. But saying that, I walk a lot. And every I could go for a walk. I'm gone four hours. And yeah. they'll say to me, oh, yeah, you obviously met dogs. Do you know, and people talk to you. It's, do you know what I mean? And it's a great way of kind of getting out and... You don't need a dog to talk to people with dogs. Yes. That kind of way. Yes. So basically, I started fostering dogs. Right. And uh, just, you know, until they kind of found homes. And like that, I was saying no. And I'd think about it and then I'd say no again. So with that, um, just out of the blue, I went with looking at Dogs Trust uh, pictures and I spotted this little dog. Mm -hmm. And I rang them up and... Um, as it transpired, 
he was in a kennel. He was after being um, put into a pound up in Offaly. And he was, he, they only had him a week at that stage. Now, they, he didn't have any collar, any um, identification, nothing. And he was put into a kennel. Hmm. So I fostered him about seven, eight days before Christmas. Right. And he's a beautiful little fella. He loves everybody. What, what, what breed is he? Is he a, he, is he a bitza? Uh, Huh? He's he's a he's a Chihuahua Terrier cross. Okay. He has a Chihuahua face, but he has um, the body of a Terrier. Okay. Okay. And um, he is just adorable. Now I had no intention of keeping him, <sighs> and every time I'd look at his little face, he'd be looking at me. <laughs> and um, I was, oh my God, I felt so guilty. And <laughs> oh my God, he knew, and, you know that, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I felt so guilty. And he'd look at me, and even if he, my friend, took him, he'd have the paws out to come back into my arms. <laughs> I swear, I'd God, he knew, he knew. Like <laughs> I'm staying here, as I'm staying here. <laughs> I said, so I, I decided I would adopt him. Good. What's his name? So he was adopted. Uh, well, he came with the name Socks. Socks. That's nice. Um, because they don't keep the, the... They didn't know what his name was because he was brought into a pound. I see. I see. So, obviously, they carried him socks because he's beautiful colours, but his feet are white. Ah, lovely. Ah, so, we, we had a cat like that years ago. We called her Boots. Come here, Rose. I'm going to have to go. So, that was it. So socks, I, named, I renamed him... So- no, I renamed him Teddy. Oh, Teddy. Teddy. All right, Teddy, yeah. Teddy, Teddy, the celebrity dog in yeah. Boring Manor Road. Listen, <laughs> thanks to everyone who helped yesterday, especially Heather, to find Teddy. Rose, thank you. You know what? Blue Monday wasn't so blue after all, was it? With a little story like that to finish us up. That's it. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation. We'll start again tomorrow, just after nine. Corks 96 FM.